that's your dare for next Friday. You've got to say Mokili Mamembe three times in one go after five beers, yeah? And uh, you're gonna stop me again here with the name of this this trip. Like it first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's called Mandi Barung. Yeah. Okay, the Mandi Barung. Uh, Mandi Barung in India. Was it an Almasti? I don't know. I don't know. Cause I can't say for sure. In Mongolia, I was arrested on suspicion of being a Chinese spy. Now I've only been a few hundred yards from the Iran Pendak, Sumatra. I did spend just a couple of days in New York on the way back, but that was a sort of chill out at the end of the trip. <laughs> yeah, you were drinking the whole time. I wouldn't even have found uh, I, I was drinking some of the time and saw the Statue of Liberty, and then I was drinking. <laughs> good man, good man. <laughs> now I definitely know we have to meet up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio with your host, Tim Banal. No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules. And at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. This is BOA Audio Season 8 live. Coming at you at 3 in the afternoon here on the East Coast. Very strange time for me. I kind of like it, though. And uh, part of the reason why we're coming at you at such an odd hour. I don't like to go up against Dr. Phil, but I guess I have to this time around. Because we're bringing back our good buddy, Adam Davies. He's one of the world's foremost cryptozoologists. I was looking at, actually, to see how long it's been since we first started talking to him. He was on the show way back in November of 2008, so over five years we've been doing these conversations with him, and he's traveled all over the world. It's, it's an amazing resume of destinations and creatures that he's investigated and searched for evidence about, and uh, I've always been fascinated by his stuff, and over the years, we were talking about this before the show started, is it the, the, the conversations essentially devolve into bar talk within uh, within probably five minutes uh, as we get closer and closer to the show. And so you're going to hear a real conversation with a real uh, explorer of uh, these mysteries. And someone, as I've said in the past on this show, puts his money where his mouth is, actually goes out there and goes after things like the Mokele Mememebe and the Yeren in China and the Selyord Serpent in Norway. Just, just, just goes out and does it, man, and I respect that so much. And uh, like I said, I, I consider him a good friend, and it's great to have him back here on the live show for his annual return. Adam Davies, welcome back to BOA Audio, buddy. Great, Tim. It's lovely to be here. Thanks very much for having me again. So, you know, we usually get you on in January, but our paths hadn't crossed yet, so here it is almost March. What, what, give us an update sort of on what you've been up to uh, since the last time we talked to you. Or, you know, how was your 2013? How did it all shake out? Well, the main thing um, in terms of cryptozoology I've been up to is the Orang Pendet project. I've been doing that um, in association with Cliff Barrettman. It's Cliff Barrettman's idea, and um, I'll tell you all about it if you like. No. <laughs> Adam, you're doing my job for me. I'm supposed to. <laughs> well, that, well, you're in luck because that's the first thing on the notes here because I do consider you uh, one of the world's foremost cryptozoologists, obviously, but I find you to be the – you're kind of like the Ahab to the white whale that is the Orang Pendak. You, uh, <laughs> I feel like someday if they ever drag that dastardly little creature out of the jungle, uh, Adam Davies isn't going to be far behind. So, <laughs> so give me an update on the Orang Pendak. What is going on with the uh, with the search for this thing? 
Well, I'd like to say there's no Moby Dick involved. It's serious research. And, mm-hmm. and, and the, the thing, basically, to, to Cliff went with me to Sumatra. He was one of the finding Bigfoot presenters, as I'm sure most people know. And we did a show um, out in Sumatra, and part of it was that Cliff and I, just Cliff and I, um, and a couple of the local guides went out into a place called Gunung Tuju, which is where a lot of the research takes place, I'd known Cliff previously, um, and, but, and we'd sort of kept in touch. We did a radio show together um, several years ago. We kind of kept in touch, and we, mm-hmm. um, but we got to be really good friends when we were out there. We had a great time. I really liked him, and he was very impressed uh, with the Orang Pendek, because I think all the, the people on the show were, but Cliff shared a passion for it, and he accepted that it was, A, a real creature, and B, you know, something that was probably under threat from the ecology so he wanted to go out and prove it so he had an idea about setting up a project and cliff it was cliff's idea as i say he completely financed it and um we basically used local guides to go out there people i'd worked with before and see if we could find evidence of the orang pendek and we've had some amazing results and i'm delighted with what we found okay so how does it work you have people sort of you, you you have like locals that are tasked with going out there because you're not going down there uh, at the time, so you kind of have to put it together uh, by proxy, I guess. Well, yeah, we, we, basically we have a we have a team, and when there's a, when we, we we without going into too much detail, <laughs> but it's kind of like man- managing a project, so which which many of you listeners will be familiar with. So. Um, we have a team out there. There are people I know and trust and I've worked with before. They'll hear about sightings. They'll go out and investigate them. And what we've done is we've, we've got them to document, photograph, analyze, and send back all the evidence, including some incredible casts nice. and some possible hair samples. Send them back, and then Cliff, uh, as we go on, uploads them onto his, um, onto his, onto his website and they're also going to be um, the subject of scientific scrutiny. Mm, I like this. The more I the more I hear about it, the more I think about it. I like it. So you kind of have like a response team of people yeah, who know the a area. Yeah, response team is a really good way of, of putting it. Because um, obviously, you, if, you, if you're not fairly quick, the things will be great. Mm. So you've got to be quick. And, and some of it's um, judgment trust. But I mean, the, the, the people are, you know, who've been doing it are people who I've known for, for many years. So... Uh, you, you, you trust them to get that good evidence. And the evidence that they gather, um, as I say, they're photographs, and, and then the, the, all the detail is sent off to Cliff. And, um, you know, one of the things that we've been amazed about is that we I could talk so much about this, but as a headline, we're, we're seeing a number of different prints. We're seeing, I can tell you, features of the animals, but we, we, we've got, I mean, you know, it's at least 20 casts now and some of them are incredibly detailed and from those um you know credible scientists like dr jeff meldrum can really learn a lot from from those so we're hoping that that would be the subject of a scientific paper interesting interesting so you're getting a lot of casts I'm, I'm... yeah a lot of casts and some potential hair samples which of course will be analyzed and all of the information uh, first of all is, is is will be downloaded on cliff's website so anybody can see it but secondly, um, you know, hopefully there'll be there'll be a paper on it at some point in the future. I mean, Jeff Meldrum is working with Cliff on it. I know he is. So, you know, I, and, and 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 there's a number of observations that I can now make. I think 
um, on the basis of the information that we had and on the basis of the research that I've done over the years. So, I, you know, I can, I can give you a, a few examples of things that I think we've learned about the Orang Pendex since the project started. Yeah, see, you, you have that here on the Facebook. I was looking at it. Uh, one thing stood out to me. I'll ask you about that in a minute. What I, what I wanted to say uh, that excites me about the Orang Pendex is it's, there's a certain sort of purity to the animal. It's not, it doesn't have a lot of the baggage associated with it that you get with, like, a Bigfoot or uh, one of these sea creatures or, or really almost any of the... Uh, of the big the big boys of cryptozoology, if you will, the Orion Pandak has this sort of purity that that I like, which is great. Yeah, and I can understand that. I mean, first of all, the stories go back for for many centuries. Some of that, some of the actual legend is disputed, but let's say for it's at least hundreds of years. So long before there was anybody could have heard of I don't know a Loch Ness monster or a Bigfoot. Secondly, what you've what you've got there is um, an ecosystem which. Um, supports a number of really rare creatures, the tiger and the tapir, to name just a couple. So you've got some really unique animals in a very rich uh, ecosystem there. And so a lot of people, even people who may be cynical about Bigfoot, and I'm not cynical about Bigfoot, but even people who are cynical about that would probably entertain the notion that a bipedal primate could exist in Sumatra. So there isn't, it isn't as controversial as, 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 as some of the other subjects, and, and quite rightly so. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have a lot of the silly baggage attached to it, too. Which no, is... no. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of bull around. Not a lot of bull around the Barang Pendek. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> it's, it's like the most real of a lot <laughs> of a lot of these creatures. I, in my mind, I'm sure in the same. In the, you're in the same vein. In my mind, it's like there's no real doubt that the Orang Pendek is. Is an actual thing that's running around out there in the jungle. We just need to figure out how to how to actually get it and prove it 100%. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. It's certainly not in, in in my mind. I'm not sitting here at the end of the day being like, well, we don't know about the orang pendek. It's like I'm pretty sure we. I'm pretty sure it's real. Yeah, and and it's more about you know for me because I don't. I'm not personally interested in a debate about whether it exists or not. I know it exists. Hmm. I'm more I'm more moving towards what it is and what we can scientifically prove about it. That's that's what I'm about. And I, I you know I've always been as you know for many years. I don't care who proves it exists, but I think it's really important that it, uh, its existence is proved, not just for its sake, but for the whole ecosystem there. So I think it's a very positive thing, and, and you know, and the more evidence we can gather, the better. Mm, yeah. I tease you about being the Ahab to the uh, Orang Pendek, but I know that's not really the case. <laughs> that's why I say it. That's why I say it, to, to bust on you. Um, now, let me let me cover a question here from one of the folks in the chat room, because uh, otherwise I'll forget. Uh, she, Gabrielle Cole, wants to know if you're, if they, I presume, uh, maybe, maybe the Orang Pendek Project, if they're also including anthropologist Kathy Strain in their work, along with Dr. Meldrum. Not so far, okay. um, and it's a good question. From for, but not so far. But I think it w- it's at the I think where it is with the project is what we wanted to do was, was gather a good body of data. And Cliff um, un- wanted to, at that stage before we um, did gather um, and announced that we had found some data to keep it under wraps, and that was his perfect right. And I think that was probably the right thing to do because. At that stage, you don't want to start trumpeting things, and it, it just—it just looks a bit crass, you know. Until we've, we we got a bit of data, we, we wanted to do that. Now, you know, the project's been running, um, uh, you know, over a year, and we've got stuff. Then it, it's now's the time for some analysis, and, uh, and and it gives Cliff an opportunity to do that when he's got breaks in the show. 
but um, ideas of, of, of great anthropologists, you know, they're good ideas, and, and the more people that could be involved in it, the better, because at the end of the day, as I'm sure you know, what it's about is, is in terms of scientific proof or advancing the knowledge as much as we can, is that anything needs to be independently scientifically corroborated. So the more people that are on board in doing that analysis, the better, and that's Cliff's decision. Hmm. But I agree with, I agree with Gabe. Now you you mentioned here the, uh, the the you made ten observational points and they're posted. Oh mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we should have mentioned this. Adam has an official Facebook page, so just punch in Adam uh, Davis and you spell that D A V I E S. That I'm going to jump completely off into a different tangent right now because uh, I've had you on the show like five or six times. So the last time I had you on, someone wrote to me and they're like, "It's pronounced Adam Davis." <laughs> so yeah, it was it was like really. It was almost a mean email, but I, I wish I could find it here. So and then I then I messaged you. Apparently, it is pronounced Adam Davis. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fool. Uh, oh, you know, but I'll get I'm it not right from now on. About it. I'm not pressed <laughs> about it. Don't, don't worry, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he Adam is on Facebook. So just punch in Adam, and and we'll do it phonetically. Davies, D A V I E S. Uh, also, he has AdamDaviesExplorer.com. So check those two out for your for your all your Adam Davies needs, and you have. The list here of the ten points, observational points that you've put together. Now, before we really dig into it, I, I was stunned here by number seven. It says it does not have it being the Orang Pendek does not have superior hearing to us, and you reasoned this by hearing eyewitness reports that often mentioned how they disturbed the Orang Pendek from whatever activity it was indulging in. That's really yeah. odd in a way to me, I guess, because I'm ignorant about what animals are like. I figure they all have better hearing than me, but apparently. Uh, there's something to that. Yeah, and that I there was a specific reason that, from a personal level, mm-hmm. that um, that made me think about it. And it was the very first time I went to um, Sumatra. I went up with a guy called Pak Solok. I think it was 1998, and I went up on my own with him. And this is how I first got into the Orang Pendek because I've been travelling across Sumatra, and I went specifically to Gunung Tuju. And that guy showed me a place where he said he had seen two Orang Pendek fighting over some rattan shoots. So, uh, so clearly he was able to approach them, and then they'd, they'd seen him and they'd panicked and ran off. Yeah. And he was startled by it all. So clearly he'd been able to approach it. He moved quite silently through the jungle. He was an old guy. He's one of these guys, you know, who's a guide, and you get this guide, and you think... Oh, you know, <laughs> is he really going to make it up the mountain? He looks like he looks like he can make it up some stairs, mm. yeah. <laughs> and then an hour later, the guy who looks like he can make it up the stairs is like burning you off up the mountain. <laughs> He's like one of those guys, leathery face and hard as nails. Yeah, yeah. But he um, he had he had had that observation, and then the, then when I spoke to a number of other eyewitnesses, they talked about often they talk about how they surprised it. So it was eating fruit, or it was eating sugarcane. So in, in terms of tracking method methodology, what I wanted to do with the Orang Pendek was to try and move silently, as silently as possible through the jungle in the hope of disturbing it, because too many people seem to have surprised it. So again, this conclu- all of those conclusions are necessarily assumptive. That I, I can't say for sure it is. We haven't got a, an Orang Pendek there that we can test it on. Exactly. But what I can say is that it seems to me that at the very least it doesn't have superior hearing to us because it's often surprised. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Very strange. Very strange. Yeah, it is strange. It's surprising. But then, you know, the, the whole, its whole existence is, is, is very strange. So 
and what you're doing when you're analysing things, or you know, one of the things I'm doing is, well, how can, how best can I track it? So you're taking. I mean, it's a gamble. It's an assumptive gamble, but it's one that that, that I've used um, on that basis. And obviously, you, you you kick off the whole list here with the thing with the uh, that the Oring Pendek is bipedal. It's amazing. I'm just thinking about this. It's amazing that we have so many creatures uh, in the crypto world. You know, Bigfoot. Yeti, all, all those, and and obviously the Orang Pendic. It's just amazing that the the one sort of universal thing about them all that makes them so weird and 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 strange is that they are bipedal, and it's just amazing that we that that it's it's an attribute that doesn't exist that we can identify. Do you know what I mean? I'm kind of kind of uh, chopping up the words a little bit here, but it's like only people are bipedal, as far as I know, as far as animals go. And so there's this great sort of mental uh, divide there, in a sense, uh, that makes all of these cryptids. That's what I think makes them so fascinating, in a way. Well, it, well, I think there's two things to say to that. The first thing is when you hear um, accounts of, of people seeing something like the orang pendek or another hominid. I, I heard a really interesting one um, about um, one that was on the borders of Afghanistan recently. Somebody, somebody emailed me. I'll talk to you about that later on. Wow. But one of the things that people um, relate to me. I mean, when I was speaking to a guy called Ulzi in Mongolia, is the fact that it's shocking that they walk like a man. It's shocking. And it, and it throws them. And, it, and it, it, it's something that really disturbs them. But when you think about it in evolutionary terms, even in Sumatra, it's not shocking. It's just extremely... It's just outside our, our knowledge of experience. Right. So, so let me give you an example. Gibbons, Siamangs, can walk um, for short distances on two legs, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they live in Sumatra. And all that I think the Orang Pendek is, and I say all because it's a truly remarkable creature, is there's no mystique about it in, in that sense. It's, I think it's basically a pygmied Orang. There's two schools of thought. Is it a type of gibbon? Is it a type of, of, of Orang? I think it's a pygmied Orang that's evolved to walk bipedally in its terrain. So why is that? particularly difficult for people to understand (laughs) when when they think about the fact that they've evolved to walk on two legs themselves otherwise we wouldn't be here we'd be like sat in a tree scratching our butts you know Mm. Uh, i'm I'm bringing it down after i brought it up yeah that's my nature (laughs) (laughs) that's why we're friends we're over the same (laughs) don't get get too too philosophical and and evolutionary heavy that's not my nature exactly (laughs) but but that's the bottom line yeah Mm. we've moved from the trees to walking on the ground. It's evolved to suit its habitat. It's a forager. What it's done is it's evolved to walk bipedally. And it's freaky because it's outside our human experience. But is it strange? No, it's not strange. It's actually evolutionary, totally plausible. And that's the difference. So when people think about this subject who know nothing about it, they'll think, oh, that's kooky. When they say, well, no, it's not. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's how the science works. That's how we work. You know, people don't even get their heads around the idea that only in an eye blink, evolutionary terms, that there are a number of different types of human all coexisting. You've heard all this science that, 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 that people... Everyone was familiar with, with um, Neanderthal man only a few years ago, but then Homo florensiensis came along, Denivisian man. So all these types of people are walking around. Hmm. We've also got an orang pendak. Exactly, and kind of in your descriptors here in the observations, it's interesting uh, because 
you it kind of connects with what you were just saying. Um, you know, he it has a human-like face, and you say, uh, you know, it could be people say it's like that of say a monkey or a gibbon. I'm confused here. I confused myself there. Uh, yeah. Well, gibbon, gibbon, gibbons, siamangs, um can often have human-like Different from faces. that. Yeah. I'm yeah. Sorry. They can often look a little bit human. So, so, so that's why there's basically two schools of thought about what the orang pandek is. Is it a derivative of a gibbon? Is it a derivative of an orang? Um, I tend to say it's a derivative of an orang. Happy to be proved wrong if that's the case. Just happy for it to be proved hmm. is where I'd stop, yeah? Right, right. And, and the other one is that they're mostly solitary. You say like an orang-utang. I guess the, the point I was just trying to connect all that together with is just that... Uh, when they find this thing, it's not going to be like some mind-bending thing in a sense where people are going to be like, oh, my God, it's purple and it has three legs. It's, 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 no. it's, it's just going to be a, a really unique, interesting-looking uh, monkey or ape. I don't know. I, I always get those two confused. Well, like, you know it's I mean. going to be an interesting-looking primate. And that's yeah. the thing. And that's what – you see, that's the most important thing that I want to get across to people. Because people can often think that this subject is fringe, yeah? And they can pile in unicorns and Bigfoot, and Orang Pendek, and, I don't know, fairies in the trees, and they're all the same thing, and it's not the mm. case. Yeah. Right. Um, what you're dealing with here is a real, living, bipedal primate that has adapted to its environment, which is consistent with both its ecosystem and with evolutionary principles. There is nothing kooky about that. It is normal, and it is right. Mm. The uh, one other thing, uh, 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 like your speculative opinion on, is uh, you mm-hmm. say it has different shades of hair, mm. um, black in color, or red. Uh, recent sightings, gray and silver. Gray, yeah. Do you, beyond, I guess, I suppose the what one would presume, which is like, oh, it's gray hair because it's an old one. Uh, what do you think is? What do you what do you speculate about regarding the different hair colors? Well, the, 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 the hair surprised me, you know, um, it, because. It's not just one animal that's had the grey fur. There's been a number. So could it be that, that there's one... I, I, I'm just totally speculating now. Is it, is it that um, one particular hair colour is, is more successful than other? Is, is a particular type of, of gene family line um, being more successful than one another? I don't know. Mm. Um, but I, that, that is what is being seen more often um, recently. But there has been a number of sightings of of anything from a, 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 a black colour, almost like a chimpanzee-like hair, and of course you know chimpanzees don't live there, to, um, to, to the sort of honey-coloured and even red. All I can say is what's been seen most frequently, and, and from a field research point of view, and that's why I record it, because it's, it's interesting to me. Right, right. It's probably, it probably could be just like with people, where it's one guy's a redhead, another person has brown hair. It has no real bearing on, on anything. Uh... It's not particularly <laughs> significant on its own, but it might be, for example, that there are particular family groups that are that have adapted to their environment and become more interested in foraging around people. Mm. Now, I didn't want to go through the whole list of observations because uh, no, I do what you like, yeah. Otherwise, people would just be like, "Well, you didn't even you didn't even do any work, man. You just read it." <laughs> <stuff." laughs> would you get Would you get um, in electronically nagged? <laughs> yes, probably by the same guy who I who caught me mispronouncing your name for five years. <laughs> uh, but the, the only other part I wanted to ask you about here is uh, you mentioned you mentioned on point number five, just sort of casually. You're like, uh, when I interviewed the king of the Suku, Anak Dalam, oh, 
Oh, yeah. Uh, He's on a roll. He pronounced that perfectly. There you There's go. There's no Makili Mamembe faux pas tonight, Tim. You're uh, there. That's right. Exactly. I told you, three in the afternoon, that's my that's my twilight time. Uh, <laughs> that's the magic hour. So, first of all, uh, you, you said that that's the only time you heard of any possible aggressive behavior. That was yeah. one. That was one thing. And then I also just wanted to kind of both tease you and inquire about what it was like to meet uh, – I presume this is really a king. This guy is really uh, yeah, yeah, he's a king. Yeah. What, what is what is that all about? I've never met a king of anything. Well, yeah. Well, he's the first king I've ever met, and and you know, um, when it, I was interested in 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 some of the the, the Siku and Aptalam, um are the tribal indigenous people who live in Sumatra, and I was always really interested to hear some of their stories. Um, so we, you know, when we wanted to travel, we went to CFZ on that occasion and wanted to travel to um, that area to to find out more about them. And um, we had an audience with the with the king arranged. Now he said that he had been travelling. I think it was with his, his, his son-in-law when um, they'd come across an orang pendak, and it had raised its um, it raised its arm. Um, and, 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 you know, uh, sort of made a wooing sound. And, the, you know, he, I think he recounted how he, had, how he had hidden in bushes and he was afraid of it. Um, and it had made some attempt to look for it, from what I can rec- look for him from what I can recollect. So it was after him, but that was the only account that um, I had ever heard where it showed aggression. Mm. And I had a very good meeting with him. He's a very nice guy. And at the end of it, um, he, um, he kissed me. And I, and I don't think many people can say they've been kissed by a king. Maybe a queen, but not a king. Yeah, well, that was it. Yeah, yeah, definitely kissed by a queen. <laughs> I was kissed by a king, not a queen. <laughs> <laughs> Did he live like I? I I'm completely, uh, you know, literally foreign to all this. Uh, so is was he was, was he? Did he live like in luxury amongst his amongst his uh, his people, or or was he kind of uh, the people's king? Well, I think he was a people's king. I don't think I don't think there was any sort of he didn't come carried up, carried amidst a um, amidst a uh, a sedan chair or something being whacked. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's what um, I'm imagining. He, yeah. I mean, he, I think <laughs> normally, I, I think he wears very little when he's in the jungle. We saw some of the other tribal people. Again, this is speculation, um, but uh, and they they weren't wearing an awful lot. But when he came to see us, he was in a, in a shirt, trousers, and um, flip flops. Okay. So uh, a king came bearing flip flops, kind of like a school nativity play. Mm. <laughs> I, I base all my knowledge on that sort of thing on the movie Coming to America. That's why I... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, not like, it's not like that. There was no, Eddie Murphy was not there, I have to say. <laughs> he was not there. And I did not offer uh, the king of the Sekunua and Akdalam a job in, in McDonald's like it was in the film. <laughs> <laughs> um all right, now the, the the people in the chat room are going crazy with questions, so I'm, I'm going to try and because I get to talk to you all the time, so we'll we'll try and hit mm-hmm. some of these as we go along. Uh, okay. Well, so Gabrielle has another question. So Gabrielle, you're using up all your questions here, but she, <laughs> she says uh, it, it. She says next to Sumatra is the country of Malaysia. In Malaysia, they have myths of a similar animal they call the orang asli, living in the hmm. jungles of Johor. Could this be the same as uh, the orang pendek? Um, no, I, I don't think so, um, because. <clears throat> The, the this is this is this is again I've not been to Malaysia so I, I can't say for sure. Yeah, I always qualify where I've been and where I've not been, as you know. So, um, but but the, the the creature there is generally described as being larger, 
And what's interesting, I think, is that there's, when we look at the, the different hominids that are in the world, some of them are very, very different. So I don't want people to think, oh, you know, people can sometimes say they don't know much about it. It's just a Bigfoot somewhere else, yeah? Right, the right. Pendek right. is a Bigfoot in, in, in Sumatra, or it's a Bigfoot in, I know Gabrielle doesn't because I know she knows her stuff, but, mm-hmm. um, um, but in, in, you know, it's a completely different creature. Right, right. Completely different. And, you know, um, there are, one of the things that I have learned is that there are a number of different hominids in very remote parts of the world which have sometimes very different properties and different levels of intellect and sophistication. Okay, okay. Have you ever thought about going to uh, to look for this Orang Astley or... or uh... Yeah, I have actually. <clears throat> I made contact with somebody um, a few years ago. So I'm, al- I'm always like, you know, looking at different areas. And I'm like, you know right. how I work. I've got about four or five different... Balls in, in in the air at one time, and it's kind of which one I, I decide to settle on is where I go. Mm. So I have, but and I made contact with somebody who was an expert in that area, but I didn't pursue it at the time because I got diverted to go and do something else. Yeah. So maybe at some point I will get round to it. But it, it, you know, it's kind of those things. It's almost like I end up going to places because they keep coming back to me and I keep having a pull to them and, you know, it almost feels like I should go there. Mm. And after, even after all my research, and, and sometimes I end up in a place because it feels the right place to be at the right time. It's almost like, you know, that's my feeling and I go with my gut on it. Okay. Um, wings away, he wants to know uh, when you're observing and following the Orang Pendek tracks, do they walk heel to toe in a tightrope style as if they're walking up a vine in the trees? I think it kind of depends. I'm not. It, it, I've seen a lot of gripping motion in in the in the prints. A couple of a couple of prints that we've 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 got back recently, which indicate the flexibility of the foot. Hmm. Um, I couldn't be sure on it because the, the the terrain's quite quite sort of hilly. So there's not much flat flat. Um, there's not much flat where we can describe it. But I think that's a question that we'll have to explore when the prints are analysed properly. So I'm speculating at the moment. Yeah, I think yeah. it, I think it needs. That's the sort of thing that I would hope would come out in the scientific paper, and that I hope that people would be able to draw when when we, when we get all the cast together and have a look at them. So, the short answer is I'm not sure, but I think I've seen a, I've seen quite a bit of gripping. I don't think it walks like a tightrope. I think it kind of it's an opportunistic feeder. So I think it moves around and looks things as it walks. Mm, um, yeah. I, 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 but. That's as far as I could probably go with it right now. Yeah, yeah, it's a very, uh, it's a very good question from Wow, mm, from Wings yeah, Away. Yeah, I never would have even thought to. They're kind of, they're, they're really, they're really sharp questions. Mm. And uh, Red Sun Superman wants to know if uh, Debbie Martyr's still on the quest to find uh, the Orang Pendek. Um, no, I, not, 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 not at the moment. Um, Debbie's doing, as far as I know, um, Debbie's doing some excellent conservation work. Of course, it was Debbie Martyr and Jeremy Holden. Um, who together um, kicked the whole Orang Pendek um, story off, and a number of people since then have progressed it with with some good results, some very good people. But it was there; it was you know they deserve to take the credit for the people who first kicked the whole thing off. But no, Debbie isn't, as far as I'm aware, doing it. She's doing a lot of important conservation work for tigers right now. There. Mm. That's good. Yeah, she's she's the one who saw it, right, and has been kind of yeah, yeah. She's seen it, and Jeremy's seen it as well. Both of them saw it, um, and um, you know that was, you know, that was a, they were life-changing moments. I think I'd say I'm speaking for them; they're not speaking here. Mm. But when I listened to their accounts, 
um, it was clearly that it was it was very profound for both of them. Um, and, you know, they spent a number of years um, looking for um, evidence. Okay. Now, uh, that, that, we'll leave the Orang Pendek behind for a little bit. I wanted to ask you about... Uh, well, one thing that that I have a ton of stuff, but one one thing that was kind of on my mind lately was this. Uh, there was an article recently where they're like, "Oh, is Nessie dead? There's not enough Nessie sightings," and and uh, you know, the, it, it seems like they just kind of an article for an article's sake. But what's, what, what's your take on on the whole status over there with the Loch Ness monster? Because it does seem like that thing's way off the radar of <laughs> it's not enjoying the crypto bump that that Bigfoot is. Well, you know, it's one of those things, the Loch Ness Monster, where I would love to be wrong. Yeah? So let me start by saying this, because I'd love it to exist. But mm-hmm. I've, I've been to Loch Ness, and um, I'm not, you know, I think, let me just talk about methodology for tracking lake monsters, um, alleged lake monsters. Uh, um, and the sonar, I think, Um, has its uses in that it will show if a large object is moving through the water. Um, Hydrophones, which um, you can get um, sound uh, recordings from, I think are more conclusive because with hydrophones, you can actually have that information analyzed. So the most the sonar is going to show you is is that something large has moved through the water. Great, you know, but it's not going to, it's not earth shattering. We've all seen that, that stuff before, a blip on a screen and you go, oh, that's quite interesting. Oh, what's what's next on TV? You know, <laughs> and that's, yeah. that, that's it. With but with um, with hydrophones, um, they can really prove something. And and an example of that, because I, I just want to set the scene before. I, I do believe in in, in in lake monsters existing. I mean, Selyard. I was part of a team that used the hydrophone there, and the Marine Research Institute said that the noises that came from it, um, they were unknown species, as you know. And mm. we've talked about that before, so I won't go on about that too much. In Loch Ness, I've been to Loch Ness. And, and I didn't um, see any evidence of it, and I found it quite difficult because the ecosystem, um, I think, would struggle to support um, a breeding population of large creatures. Um, I think that, um, there's a, that the, a lot, the, the way the sightings have moved in Scotland is almost away from Loch Ness to a place called Loch Marar, mm, okay. um, where there's where there's, uh, I've not been to Loch Marar, but I'd certainly like to go there. It's got crystal clear water, and there's been a few sightings there recently. So I, think, I don't think the whole Scottish um, idea of a Nessie-type creature is, is dead in the water. It just seems to be focusing on Loch Marar rather than Loch Ness. Yeah, yeah. Well, that would make sense. I mean, hmm. what do you what do you think these things are? Because it, it, it's a very perplexing sort of uh, troubling mystery to tackle the sea creature because it, on one hand it looks like it should be easy to do because you you know where it is you have it in a little puddle uh relatively speaking but we don't seem to ever have any progress as far as getting to the bottom of any of these sea monster mysteries so clearly there's something that we're we're not quite <laughs> wrapping our arms around but what, what do you think's going on there well i don't think it's a plesiosaur some sort of prehistoric mm. dinosaur or fish eater because none of the ecosystems that um, I've been in could support the idea of large creatures um, that could eat um, eat shoals of fish. Uh, you know, at least you'd have to have at least 20, even in somewhere like Loch Ness, and I just don't think it's going to happen. So well, what, what could they be? I, I, I think it's very difficult to say. I, I think they'd have to be some sort of prehistoric throwback, um, possibly reptilian, 
but then you're sort of speculating about what 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 that may may be from there. Yeah. Some of them, um, I think, um, let's say in cell order, that that may be the case, and, it, and they may move around to um, areas and, and and hibernate for periods. It's all just speculation, though. I think. I, 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 all I can say is that some of them may be misidentification. Of course, we talked about large logs, and I do think that um, a lot of people, I don't think the people are seeing mutant eels. I've, I spoke to fishermen at foyers, and they said that they'd seen eels that were absolutely massive, you know, had, had the, the girth of a man's waist. So Jesus. if you see something like that in the, in, 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 in a lock, you're going to call it a, a, a monster. Yeah, <laughs> you are, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, that's gonna be, if I saw one now, oh, that's a lot less monster. <laughs> but, uh, but 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 um but the um there are real um there are real uh, sea creatures that aren't um from identified uh, species or lake monsters that aren't from identified species i'm not sure what they are but that that's kind of my best guess in a roundabout way but it's it's a total guess mm, no exactly that's a, you you really uh, you touched on exactly kind of what the point i was making that it's a, it's a very perplexing yeah, it's really hard. Mystery in a lot of ways. You're and I think with, the, with the hominids, you know, I think that mm. I can, I can, again, make assumptive guesses. But I'm reasonably confident with my guesses with for some of them. Um, but with 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 late creatures, I'm just way out there, you know. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, that's the weird part. That's the weird part about it. Um, so okay, so we, when we last talked, uh, you had just returned from from America relatively speaking and you were you have finally set your sights on the American Bigfoot. Mm. Um you know what how did it all how how did all that develop and shake out over 2013? We haven't talked uh, yet about your interest in the Well, kind of research American about Bigfoot. that uh, that's still ongoing and we'll see what happens about that. Mm. Um I I mean you know I, I think that what I've learned about Bigfoot is that it's uh it's a it's a wonderful unique creature. Uh, and and you know I'm quite open about the fact that if I've had any regrets about cryptozoology research over the years, it's that I didn't I didn't go to Bigfoot sooner. And I've I've, I've met a lot of really good people in the Bigfooting world now, um, and made some great friends. And uh, you know, <laughs> I, I I think that you are blessed to live in America. I wish I lived there <laughs> because I wouldn't be like dragging my butt all over the world. <laughs> I'd be out in those woods every week wearing a bark hair shirt <laughs> looking, looking for, for bigfoot big... yeah yeah not all <laughs> the time i would eventually like i would like some normality <laughs> to my life i guess um um otherwise uh <laughs> otherwise it would be wrong but you know i would be i would i would i would i think it's a great place to be america um to do research and uh you know, I, I suppose it is. It's a. Uh, it's good. The, the Bigfoot has its own problems, though. You know, it's. We talked about how the. the if, we, if we talked about the purity of the, Orang Pendek, the Bigfoot's the antithesis of that idea. The Bigfoot's uh, impure. <laughs> impure. What? What are you with all these theological points today? Like, <laughs> Saint Tim of Boston. <laughs> the Bigfoot is impure. Behold. <laughs> Well, no one's running around touring, uh, you know, touring shopping malls with an orang pendek and saying, "Hey, I, I shot an orang pendek. Check it out, folks." But with Bigfoot, that's actually, you know, a it's actually happening, and b it's, you, it's not surprising. That's the that's the impurity of it all. But yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I think, I think, I think with the Bigfoot, um, it's difficult because you're in an area where people have a lot of technology and advancement, and you know. 
it's very easy to, uh, to, 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 to fake something. And people get very upset, and rightly so, about things like that, because obviously it's their passion. But then it makes people very cynical about any evidence that does come along. And then the consequence of that is people with actual evidence can be very wary about bringing it out because they don't want to be shot down. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like a vicious circle. So I, I do take your point with Bigfoot. I think it's, it's very difficult. But um, I just hope that that doesn't discourage people from doing some research. And the reason behind that is because a lot of, a lot of um, it's always going to be the way, I think, that where you get um, evidence, of these creatures. It can be by accident or it can be these amateur researchers. If people didn't look for the, if Patterson and Gimlin hadn't looked for a Bigfoot, there'd be no patty footage, for example. Right. And you know, in Sumatra, the person who's most likely to get a picture of the Orang Pendek would be a, a would be probably a farmer now, because a lot of them have mobile phones. That's more likely than anybody else. So there is value in that research, but really, I mean, I want to talk to you about DNA evidence later on and oh, yeah. the implications of that, because I think it's important. There's a couple of things I want to say about that. Um, but, um, it, you know, I, want, I don't want people to, because there's, there's negative bias, I don't want people to have anything other than an opportunity to go and look for it, because it's extremely rewarding, and, and you know, they'll get a lot out of it. So it, there is a lot of that negativity in America, and I'd not experienced it at any level until I went to, to America. I didn't understand um, how how you know, this this has built up for so many years. I do now. But uh, I can see why it has. But don't let it put you off. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You, you know I love Bigfoot, so... I... It's worth it. It's worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. The ubiquitous Mr. P in the chat room wants to know if there's any recordings of Orang Pendek calls. That's an interesting idea. Well, we, 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 we've had it... We've, there's one on Cliff's website, but we're not sure if it's a, a if it's a Orang Pendek. It's almost impossible to say. I mean, it could be an Orang Pendek. It could also be a, a, a bird species that's there. It's difficult to say. But, so I wouldn't say yes. We've definitely got one. I've certainly heard them, um, but I think it's um, have we definitively proved it? No, because we've got nothing to cross match it with. Hmm. It'll be easier exactly. to, to with with the casts and with a potential hair samples than it would be with a call. It's quite it's quite. Um, it's quite subjective, of course, I think. I know what it sounds like if, if, if uh, I'm in the jungle, I think, but I'm not sure enough to say, yes, that's definitely one. Mm. So you think you've heard it? Yeah, I think I've heard it, yeah. I think I've heard it uh, on, on a couple of occasions, but I can't be sure because, you know, yeah, in the jungle exactly. at night, all sorts of things are crashing around, and <laughs> yeah. in the jungle at night, what you don't do uh, at night is think, oh, something's crashing around over there, maybe, you know... Um, I'll go and investigate it. Um, it's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you you said you teased here that you have so, you have you have something to say about DNA, which I'm interested in because I have I have a I'm, I'm all over the map on DNA lately with with the Bigfoot DNA stuff, and I, I think there's a I think there's some good uh, potential there, but I'm also wondering if there's like a glass ceiling of sorts where it's how far can you go with DNA until. You know that might get us to step the next step, but we still need to go another step beyond that, which is getting getting the creature. But but you clearly have have thoughts on this, so we'll we'll dive right in. What, what, what's your take on the whole DNA issue? My, well, my take on it is this: uh, you don't need a body um, to. I would never kill. Let me stop by saying I would never kill a Bigfoot. I would never kill an Orang Pendek. I would hmm. never kill any of these things. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's morally the right thing to do, but also scientifically, I don't think it's necessary. 
And the reason I don't think it's necessary is because, you know, geneticists would agree with me. <laughs> so, you know, and they're the people who would do the analysis. There will always be some people who will say, habeas corpus, show me the body. Right. But they, I think, are, would be negated by the people who are credible scientists who will say, well, actually, you don't need it. And the reason, there, there are several reasons you don't need it. First of all, I'm no DNA expert, as you know, but, but you, you can effectively map something's DNA and trace its ancestry um, it's, it's through its mitochondrial DNA, um, through its mother's line, and that should be sufficient. And also, the problems that we had, I think, only relatively recently, only a, a few years ago, with the, with the, the cross-contamination of, of, of samples have now been um, progressed. So the DNA technology itself has accelerated, and so a lot of that contaminant problem that we had um, um, has, has, has been negated by, by improved methodology. So you can get um, really good DNA, which should be sufficient. If you get that DNA, wh how far can amateur researchers, or how far can um, whatever you want to call yourself really take this stuff? Well, what they could do is find um, um, hair samples. That's the most important thing, I think. Yeah. Um, what can they do with those hair samples? Well, you know, um, a number of... I remember Todd, I, I heard Todd Dissertel talking not so long ago, and he was saying, well, you know, you, you don't have to send them off necessarily to someone like him. Um, you could get those DNA samples tested by people who do, I don't know, testing for parentage of kids. Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah, that was what he was saying. And then, you know, that was his view. But that You know what's going to happen. Then the police show up at your door, and they're like, yeah, you, know yeah. that, <laughs> you know that DNA you sent in for your kid? It turns out it's a goat. So we're gonna <laughs> yeah. we're gonna have well, some questions for yeah, you. Yeah, or in one of those like in one of those um, in one of those supplements you see. Uh, my mother was a bigfoot. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> my dad won't talk. He won't tell me the story. <laughs> every now and again, and have flashbacks. No, um, neither of us have dated any type of woman like that. I just want to say an exclaimer on Tim Biddle's show right now. None of our ex-girlfriends look anything like that. Exactly. <laughs> back, to, exactly. back to the back to the um, the point. Hmm. And the point is this. That um, you can you can get what you need from from that from the, those hairs, it, and, it, and they will be sufficient. What they will do is they would generate a concerted conservation project. So if someone very credible, uh, credible scientists come out and say yes, a bigfoot exists, yes, an orang pendek exists, that would be enough. That would be enough to start a conservation project with credible scientists to find it. And as for people who are looking on an amateur level, well, you know, say you find a clump of hair somewhere, you can do some very preliminary basic research yourself. Okay, so let's, let's give an example. Um, you may have found some hair. By yourself, if you're, if you're a researcher and you go out there a lot, buy yourself a microscope, look at the hair, you'll be able to see identifiable hair patterns. Cross-reference them. So you can see what human hair looks like under a microscope. You can see what deer hair looks like under a microscope. Um, and you'll be able to match yourself. So you don't need to send it off in the first instance. If what you found is deer hair, there's no point sending it off to um, Todd Dissertel or Brian Sykes or any of these other people. Right. Because it's a, waste of, it's a waste of your money <laughs> and it's a waste of their time. Mm -hmm. So, so what, you, what you do, um, if you're somebody who is, who is regularly going out finding what you think is samples, do, do a check yourself. And then you'll learn, you'll learn what to do. Okay. So, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm impressed by your confidence that a positive DNA outcome would, uh, would really generate 
the conservation needed. Because part of me just, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I, I just, I'm, you know, I'm sticking my neck out on that. I'm sticking my. There'll be people who say, "Oh no, it needs more," and blah blah blah. No, it won't. I, I, I am sure that if we got DNA from these creatures, that would be sufficient to change the balance. Pictures, you know, pictures, they're interesting, but they're always subjective. Right. Yeah? right. Eyewitness That's, reports are always yeah. subjective, and, and eyewitnesses may tell different accounts of the same story. Does it mean that? Does it mean that they're, they're um, not credible? No. It just means they're seeing things in a different way. And you hear that. Um, you know, in, in, I, I used to do work in court. You hear that in the witness box all the time. So, so it, it, they're never going to be sufficient. Yeah, they make for interesting stories, um, but but you need some sort of hard, tangible evidence, and and, and that that for me is, is is the pièce de résistance. There's always a chance. There's always a chance that one of these things would be um, shot. Um, or hit by a car, or whatever else, and, and in which case we'd have a body. But you really don't—you really don't need to shoot them. Um, even aside from the ethical point, it really is wrong. But you really don't need to to harm them to prove they exist. No. Right. Well, you say uh, that it's under threat, the Orang Pendak, which is interesting because uh, if it's under threat, you know. You don't hope for anything bad to happen to it, but if it's under threat, then you would presume then it would turn up somehow. Uh, you know, you almost like the clock is ticking on it. But, but who knows? That's always been my view. I mean, that's always been why I'm why I'm very interested in it because I I just think the ecosystem is under threat. Hmm. So so in the case of the Orang Pendek, what what I'm hoping would happen is preserving its existence um, would would. Um, would in, in finding its DNA, or you would help to preserve its existence. So that's that's how I feel about the Orang Pendek. Yeah. I, I, is is the fact that it's under threat though? Is it even is it possible? Could this happen that that somehow they there's so few of them that they could die out before we ever actually get to the bottom of this? Or or is no, it? Yeah. Well, it's possible with all sorts of species. I suppose. You know, yeah, species, yeah. Species species come and go, don't they? Yeah. Um, and and, and um, yes, it's possible. Um, you, you just have to hope that that doesn't happen. But, but when you're, you know, a lot of the sightings um, <clears throat> recently have been typically by people on the edge of farmland. Or what, why? Why is that? Um, are they coming into forage um, and adapting to um, to people being in their area, or is it because they're being pushed farther back by um, human encroachment? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean. I, I kind of, I kind of think, well, that might be, the, you know, it's encouraging. One thing I'd say is one thing that I was, I was pretty encouraged about with the Orang Pendek project, is the fact that we're finding a number of good quality casts, and they're from different animals. It's not the same thing bouncing around. They're different size creatures, so there, there, there's clearly some sort of population there. Ah, uh, yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah, uh, um, so I'm just hoping that that is sustainable. How many casts have they generated uh, just from the project? About 20-odd, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, Cliff's got some new ones, but so far 20-odd, which is incredible. That's a huge number. Yeah, because so before that, I mean, how many did we really even have? How many casts did we have? I'm not exactly sure. Roughly. Cliff, Cliff said, um, when we were talking about it last time, he reckoned that we quadrupled the number of casts that were around. See, that's amazing. Um, but but, but I, I've not looked into it, so I couldn't I couldn't say for sure myself. I couldn't make that assertion myself because I never I've not looked into that. Right, but it's fair, it's fair to say it was probably just like a handful of casts. Yeah, right? there was a handful, I think. But, yeah. but from this from this um, from this this project, you know, we've got a number of, and they're they're all you know within a concentrated period. Hmm. So they're all within the last year or so. 
um, Jeez, of, 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 of different animals in a specific area, which is usually encouraging. It's, so we're not looking talking about vast distances we're finding them. We're finding them in a specific area that's very concentrated. Yeah, like a small little patch of land, pretty much. Yeah, a patch, a, 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 an area of the jungle where we you know near where our guides live, basically, or not far away. My goodness. Well, I'm, I to jump into the DNA again. I, I appreciate your response because it sort of like answered a nagging part of the whole issue with me for a while, where it was just like, well, what good is the DNA if we don't like, like I said, this glass ceiling? But you're saying that to return to this idea again, you're saying yeah. that you know uh, having the DNA will lead to more interest, which I think you're right about, because I it's can imagine... Getting them, it's getting it cultivated. It's getting credible right. scientists as an organized body. What all of these things need, um, ultimately, uh, and, and the contribution that um, pe- people can make is, is getting enough evidence to tip the balance so that a concentrated conservation project kicks off. That's what this is about. Um, um, now, what would, this, anyway. what would this conservation project be? They, they like, like lock down, essentially, uh, this, this well, patch yeah, of land we were talking about? Barrier. Yeah, you'd have to have people not going into an area. You'd have to have a combination of, of primatologists, anthropologists, biologists in, a, in an area studying them. I mean, it would, it would take, it would be, but to have that concerted effort from credible scientists on an expensive project like that, you need DNA. You're not going to get it because somebody's taken a photograph. Right, right, right. Or because somebody says they may have seen one. It's just not going to be enough. Yeah. Um, um, and, and, you know, because these things would have to be um, backed and funded by um, governments or certainly very large organizations. So you need that level. And, uh, but, you know, if you have the people, you now have situations where the world's leading geneticists are involved in testing DNA. So it's not some, it's not Billy in the back street. Who, you know, it's, right, it's right. people who are at the top of their game. And um, all it takes is one of these people at the top of their game to come out with it, and then that's it. Yeah. yeah. It'll be uh, interesting. Uh, ubiquitous Mr. P wants to know if there's a timeline on when uh, there'll be cast analysis. That's probably up to the, the folks at the project. That's, that's not my decision. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's Cliff's, and, that, and that, that would be Jeff's and other people. It would, it, it, it's kind of those sort of things are out of my hands. Um, I'm happy to do all the field research, but then what I don't ever do is stick my toe in the science because it's none of my business. And to try and do so would be wrong. Yeah, mm. um, I know. I know. My, I know what I'm, I, I enjoy doing, and I kind of know my limits too. And uh, <laughs> that's where I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, yeah, you raised a, an interesting. Oh, well, here we go. I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought for a moment. But um, what? I could have sworn that I learned this from you, but I may be mistaken, but we're talking about this conservation project. I could have sworn there was a country somewhere where they have sort of like a state or national forest that is essentially shut down, you know, it's it's protected on, under the reasoning that there is some kind of mysterious creature there. But maybe... Well, that's right. I mean, they they, they do have one in Bhutan. I mean, okay. The king, of Bhutan, the king of Bhutan has a tracker um, for um, a, a, the Yeti there, and they have a conservation project there. I've not been to Bhutan. It's one of those places, you know, I'd really love to go. Mm. Really love to go there. But it's it's damn expensive, Tim. <laughs> to even get there, it's expensive. To, to, to stay there for, for, for days on end is really expensive. But I've but always wanted really? to go there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've always wanted to go there. I'd love to. But um, maybe one day, you know. <laughs> but they so, so essentially the idea kind of of what we're talking about is similar to that kind of thing, maybe? 
No. Oh, it, no. It, it, but at the moment, it's, it, it's a protected conservation. What you need is, is you'd need a conservation area and you'd need people going in. And the thing, with, yeah. Yeah, with the, the, the people I've already described, the sort of level of expertise right, I've right, already right. described going in, analyzing. You know, it, it'd be, it would be studies that would last many years. Mm. Um, you, know, you know, you think about... You know <clears throat> how long studies have, say of the bonobo chimps last. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a many it's a many years methodical thing. Um, but but you but that you know people who are out there who are doing small scale research, they're the sort of people who might be able to kick it off. Mm. That's the contribution I think people um, at that level can make. Yeah, and it's an important one because it's the starting point. It's the spark that starts the engine. Exactly, exactly. Now, when we were talking before we got on the air, you mentioned you listened to the uh, the Bigfoot episode we did a couple of weeks ago with Eric Altman, and, and <laughs> particularly yeah, brought up, like... uh, you brought up the whole thing about uh, that I, I mentioned from Lauren was that the, the use of women in these expeditions, which uh, you had some thoughts on. So, so talk a little bit about that, because I definitely think that Lauren's on the right track with that whole idea, but I, I, it seems like it's hard to pull off, possibly. Well, the logic behind it is that um, men um, can often display... This is what I think he's talking about, and this is why I think he's right. Um, men can often display um, alpha male behavior, even by their postures and their stances, even, uh, uh, and that can threaten um, potential primate uh, or the primates. And you can see that. Um, what, that isn't such a radical idea when you see how, for example, um, a chimpanzee society is structured... I'm not saying they're like chimpanzees because I think some of them are completely different. But 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 if you look at how a chimpanzee society is structured, um, they are very hierarchical. Um, they can be very aggressive, and if alpha males were to, were to come in, they would not respond well, or they would not communicate with that. Um, I think women can have a more soothing approach in that in that way. But even guys, you know, even how you stand, how you behave. Can, could potentially put them off. It's speculation, hmm. but but I can see where it's coming from. And also, we um, <clears throat> he's absolutely right. You know, some of these creatures may well have a superior sense of smell, and men and women obviously um, obviously um, exude uh, different pheromones. Hmm. So, and you know, if you have a heightened sense of smell, um, you'll you'll realise that. And what you're always gauging if, if you're um, something that uh, has to hide in order to survive is, is, is the level of threat. And you're less likely to interact with something that has a greater threat to you than something that has a lesser threat to you. So it's logic. And it's good logic, I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wings Away, the same guy who asked about the uh, the, the casts and the walking on the tightrope feature possibility. He wants to know... Uh, He's heard of the. He has seen the orangutan mimic human functions, like paddling canoes. Has the orang pendek been seen mimicking any human functions or activities? No, I, I, and, and not that I'm aware of, and, that, and that's what I, I, you know, where where I'm, I'm quite I, I'm quite certain about the level of a, of, of, of the orang pendek is that there's no to me there's no real mystique around it. It's 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 a it's a it's a pygmy orangutan, it's di- but it's difficult to say because it's seen so rarely in, in terms of interaction. It may well, if it's got the same intellect level as the orangutan, it may well have the capacity to do that. Orangutans are certainly very intelligent. But it's seen normally when the, when the orang pendek, there's no way we can draw a conclusion on that because normally when it's seen, it's seen very fleetingly and normally um, it, it, it runs off. Right. Um, it, or it hides, tries to hide. It doesn't. It's not in an environment where it would be relaxed enough yeah, yeah. to 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 
to have that sort of dialogue. It doesn't have any interaction with people ever. Mm. Right, right. It goes exactly. when, it, <laughs> when it sees them, it's off. Because it knows that, you know, people have bad news for it. <laughs> um, normally, there are people's, people's intentions, um, I would imagine, over the years would be nefarious towards it. Mm, yeah, well, I was thinking about that, too. Uh, you wonder when I was we were talking about it being threatened and everything. I presume that at some point in the vast history of human existence that someone has killed the Orang Pendek. And, and they probably either, you know, mis- mistook it for something, left it in the woods, left it in the jungle. I mean, this could have been like hundreds of years ago or whatever, you know what I mean? So it's, uh, it, 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 yeah. even nowadays, if you were a farmer or whatever and you shot one and you're, it was like rooting through your jungle and everything, rooting through your garden. You wouldn't. I don't think you'd want to really bring, maybe bring it into town. Maybe you would just be like, "Uh oh," and then bury it in your farm. So well, some people may some people may do that. I think over the over the last decade or so, I think I think certainly things have changed, and I think that if they found one now or, or that and that happened, I think they might bring it into town because I think they think they might think there's some money to be had from it. But I think even only twenty or thirty years ago, that would have been the case, and in remote parts of the world. Um, is certainly still the case. Um, I heard, I had a, uh, an account, I won't mention the chap's name because I haven't given, uh, I haven't asked him permission to mention his name, but I had an account only a few weeks ago from a pastor who'd been on the borders of, of, of Afghanistan and he had talked about how he felt that um, tribes people up there had, had shot a creature. I mean, he's a very credible, he's a pastor, a very credible witness. Yeah. Uh, and, and he said that the, you know, and I asked if I could if I could speak to them because I had a mind to go out there and, and find the body. <laughs> yeah, I, mean? I thought, oh, great. Well, it, I, I didn't want it to be shot because, I, again, it's wrong. But if there is a body, I thought that's marvelous. I'll, I'll get a plane over and go, you know, I'll go, <laughs> go and find it. But, you know, they would not talk to me about it because it was it was considered enormously bad luck, yeah, um, and they would not have any conversation. I asked for permission, and it was refused. Um, they wouldn't even talk to him about it okay. the next day. Um, uh, and so it, it was, it, I, I mean, I think it was a few years ago that this happened, but mm. it, the body would still be there, you know. But that, that, that just goes to show that in some areas it can be superstitious, but in, I think in most areas now, even in areas that... Um, not not first world areas. I think people would would probably bring them in, which is a, which is you know an important point because what we don't want is 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 for is for them to be shot. Mm. Uh, and they are um, they are flesh and blood, um, and you know that would happen sooner or later. I think. What, what what the hell was this creature running around in Afghanistan? Would, would that be a yeti? I don't even know. Well, it would be it would be it, it would be a name? Uh, in that area probably the term for it is an Elmer's. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. So that kind of thing. But it's the same sort of principle, different type of creature, but it's the same sort of principle. Yeah. Right, right. Black I just people again to, to, just to uh, you know my poor frame of pop cultural reference. I just imagine like a desert. So I, I no, no, no. Yeah, it's, it's, it's higher. It's higher. <laughs> Uh, it's high altitude mountain, you know, kind of thing like that. Not a desert, no, no. Yeah, I I, I watch a lot of cartoons, Adam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, no, there's no Roadrunner and Bugs Bunny in this one. So. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me see what else. Uh, what, well, tell me about the Yaren in China, because I, I was going over the different stuff we've talked about in the past, and I, I'm sure we have talked about the Yaren, but I don't remember it at all, so... So tell me a little bit about what what the hell is this? Also, kind of of the same ilk. Well, 
yeah, I think it, I think again, it's useful for the, the people can kind of paint a pattern of different creatures in different areas. Right now, the the Yeren is is obviously the child Chinese wild man. Now, the stories about the Yeren really interested me, was because you know when I looked at um, accounts of the Yeren, one of the things that I like is is if the stories go back a long way, and you can see stories about the Yeren going back to to, to six BC. Um, oh, wow. When they talk about hairy men, you know, throwing rocks in there. So <clears throat> there'd been an eyewitness account, um, and um, I, uh, I I pitched an idea to Monster Quest, which was then running at the time. I said, you know, can we go? Can, can I do a show on the Yaron? And um, I'd done one on Sumatra, and, and and they liked it, so they said, yeah, you can do one on the Yaron. Go for it. So I was like, yay, great. So they paired me up with with Jeff Meldrum. And while we were out there, um, we met some, some some Chinese, and they all, they take it very seriously. Some of the the, the 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 Chinese, you know, and they were very helpful. Some of the academics were helpful as well. And um, we we went to an area, and a, a, there was a tracker called Mister Yuan, and he was an interesting character. You know, he's one of these guys. I remember the cameraman. He, we were sat there, and, and you know, he'd have like rice wine for breakfast, and he had his like teeth wired in jaws. <laughs> <laughs> For a Chinese guy, massive guy with hands like huge, and um, and and, uh, and we were sat around a table, and Aaron, who was the cameraman, was teasing me because, as a show of affection, Mister Mister Yuan wanted to hold hands with me while we were eating. Yeah, so um, there's the, the Aaron was taking the pee <laughs> all night, but then the next, but fickle Mister Yuan was fickle because the next night he wanted to hold hands with Aaron. I was delighted. Delighted at that point, <laughs> <laughs> and so it was my turn. Um, but in terms of the science, what um, what we found there, um, Jeff looked at that Jeff Meldrum looked at some prints that were there, and um, he came to the conclusion that they were from an unknown primate. The first prints that were presented to us were bear prints, and as you know, prints can often be misidentified as bear. It was like, well, you know, the bear. And then we got these prints out, and, you know, Jeff was really excited. He was going, yeah, wow, this is it, you know. And yeah. I think more of it should have been made, actually, at the time. But Jeff was able to write a scientific paper in collaboration with the Chinese on, the, on, on, on those prints, which were significant. So, yes, the Yeren is around. <clears throat> we only spent a short time there, you know, a couple of days, in, in a, because it's all about getting permits mm. um, at the time. But, you know, it's, it's a good place to look. And uh, there's a lot of ancestry of, 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 of primates in that area, um, in China. So, so you know, why not? <laughs> we gotta spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the Internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? What do they say this Yaren is? is it, how, how would you describe it or contrast it to I mean we we, we kind of have painted the picture here so far we it's different obviously from the orang pendek that's sort of like a little bipedal ape thing yeah that's little well it's it, it's it's about I mean this again these are assumptive descriptions but yeah. if you think about it as as, as maybe maybe a tall, it's taller than the the orang pendek so maybe around 6 um, to seven feet. This is rough. This is rough. Mm-hmm. But, it, it, but often it's, it's musculature isn't as um, isn't as huge as that described by Bigfoot. So when, when people talk about Bigfoot and um, people who say they've seen it, they often talk about how it's big framed. It's big, you know, and it's and it's and, and, it, and it's a large creature. 
the, this is actually often described as being more slight frame, so more like the physiology of a man rather than the physiology of a gorilla-type creature. Okay. All right. Well, it's amazing, too, when you think about it with the Bigfoot. It suffers, in a sense, uh, because I, I presume, I'm going to presume maybe that the, the country America is so big mm. that, the, 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 that probably isn't just one kind of Bigfoot. There's got to be, I'm willing to bet there's like four maybe different types that are, so like you might, you know, they might shoot a Bigfoot in Oregon and somehow all, someone might hit a hit a swamp ape down in Florida. They're going to be completely different creatures, you know, maybe that'll be different from whatever might be found on the East Coast. So that, that, That's entirely possible. I mean, there, there, there could be, there could be pockets mm. which have, um, because of <clears throat> isolation over, over, many centuries have, have, have evolved slightly differently and when you think about it that's really all I'm saying about the Orang Pendek what I'm saying is it's, 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 it's adapted to its environment so it's become a more pygmy sized from the Orang uh, Tang and it's evolved to walk bipedally and that's very important you know and I think I think the, the ethical questions about Bigfoot in America are, are one of the things that people could say as opposed to the Orang Pendek. With the Orang Pendek, I think it's very clear-cut. I think you can say, well, you know, if you don't um, preserve its existence, um, then, um, you know, it could well die out. And, yeah. and, and, that, and I think that's a valid argument. People in America may well say, well, you know, why don't you just leave Bigfoot alone? Because it's, a sec- it's successfully evaded um, technology and people for um, many centuries. Um, why does it need um, our protection? Isn't that an arrogant notion? And I and I can resonate with that. I thought I thought of all the questions about um, about that the, the I pondered. That's the most difficult to answer. Mm. And I'd say, you know, we are an expanding population. It is fallible. It is flesh and blood. Sooner or later, we'd make a mistake. And the sort of people there are a number of people out there now more so, I would think than have ever been, um, who would actively like to shoot it. <clears throat> right. And um, that should be avoided at all costs. Yeah. That's so, why DNA is, 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 is extremely important. So we can get the laws then changed. I see what you're saying, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm totally for, for, for conservation of it. I would think it would need protection. Um, some people would say, well, it doesn't. And I would, I would respect the fact that they... I, I can understand the argument, why don't we leave it alone? But I think, for me, the fact that there are people out there who are actively trying to hunt it tips the balance of why we should try and preserve it. I want the same thing as those, as those people who, who, who want to preserve its existence, and I think that we have a difference of opinion on, on what's the right approach. <laughs> yeah. They're like, we'll just go out and kill it, and then we can save them. It's like, wait, what? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, to go out and... I think to go out and kill something which is undoubtedly very rare is an extremely arrogant thing to do, you know. Um, it's, it's saying, by its very nature, what you are suggesting is that you are superior to it. So you should be able to study it um, um, and, uh, uh, by killing it. Yeah. And, um, we are in no position to do, to do that. Our track record does not indicate that we, we should go around killing things um, to, 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 for, for, for the betterment of of science or whatever else, it's, it, it's, it has to be wrong, yeah, and I would hope that, you know, p- 
people would understand that. Not everybody's going to understand it, though, you know. Let's have a bit of realism. There's always going to be some guy in the woods who thinks, you know what, if I see one, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot it. I'm going to shoot it. I'm going to be famous. Right, and right. I don't want it to be that guy who proves its existence, you know. I don't want it to be that guy because he, he or she does not deserve it. Well, it's you, you don't see too many people go off. Go off. I've never I, – I could, probably could be completely wrong about this, but – but I, uh, I presume, like when you went out on, looking for the Orang Pendek, you didn't bring a net, did you? A net? Yeah, to capture it. Oh no, I didn't bring a net. Right, right. So I mean, it's that's like, the same can be applied to these these people that go out and look for Bigfoot, like on the weekends or whatever. I'm pretty sure, obviously, they may bring guns, but they certainly don't bring nets to to try and capture it. I guess the point no, I'm trying no, to make is like there's no middle ground here. It seems is that. They, either to try and kill or try and observe. Maybe we should go for a capture, uh, you know, in the healthy middle. Well, if you went for a capture, you'd need an organized professional medical team to do that. You can't just have people wandering around. You'd need scientists because there'd be things that, without getting too complex, mm. you'd need anesthetists who are expert in, in, in dosing primates. Yeah, otherwise you'd be killing it. <laughs> so yeah, because it would like freak out. Have, yeah. You can't just have uh, you can't just have like um, Bob and Sue with a dart gun. Oh yeah, we'll go shoot it um, because that's no different really for having somebody with a, with a, with a sawn off who goes out. Same principle. You, in order for that to happen, you need credible conservationists rather than than amateurs. What amateurs can do is is, is bring back DNA, bring back good cast, um, tell. You know, good, credible eyewitness sort of, uh, stories. Um, they, they can't um, organise a sort of conservation project like that. And, 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 and you know, and, and, and it needs it needs a lot of time and a lot of money to do that. So you're saying this giant, massive uh, Bigfoot net I bought it was a bad investment? Well, you see, you're building it up. You told me off there you had a shrimp net and you were going to go. Out. <laughs> now now it's, it's become a giant Bigfoot net. With your name on it, and you're wearing that Liker superhero costume. <laughs> well, the, the, the last part is absolutely true, but that has <laughs> nothing to do with the uh, the net. <laughs> it's, like, it's just like a weekend thing for you now, and you see, it's, it's only Thursday. It's getting yeah. worse, Tim. You need to control that habit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Have you? Uh, I was looking for obscure creatures uh, online today. Have you ever heard of this thing called the Trunco? Oh yeah, I heard of it very briefly. I think Carl Schuker did something on that. Um, but but I, I, you know, I I I I like, I, and I know that it was disproved. But I wouldn't say um, anything about. I don't I don't know any anything about it in the detail. I like to look for. I mean, people cryptozoology is a, 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 a broad church, and everybody can have different pursuits. So there are some people who um, are into um, what I would say is no into, for example, looking for new species of insect, beetle, whatever else. And um, that is important research, but it's what their passion is. There are some people who are very good at archiving, uh, and, and they all are extremely important. Um, what I'm interested in um, is obviously doing field research about things that I feel um, I want to look for and feel passionately about, and those are generally hominids and or sometimes um, lake creatures. Yeah. Um, and that's, so that's the sort of thing that... Um, I, nobody's an expert in these fields. They can't be. But those are the sort of things that I, I like to talk about from my experience um, rather than, than anything else. I don't know enough about um, 
about uh, some of them to, to have anything other than an opinion of stuff you'd read on the internet. But I do, for some, for example, with some of them, like the Iran Pandemic, when I've looked at it for many years, I'm able to make assumptive uh, assertions based on based on evidence and based on the things that um, I've learned, which have some value, I think, that I want to share with others in case they want to do the same thing as me. Mm. Um, and they can bring something else to the party, you know, and they could be the person that they've read something that I've, I've said or done and they, they may use it and they may prove the existence of it and I'll be happy with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, the only reason I really mentioned the Tronco is because it's so weird looking. Uh, I just I just shared a picture of it on the uh, in the chat room. It's like a, it's like oh. a, it's like a, it's like a three times at least five times maybe the size of a. This is a drawing, so obviously it could. Mm-hmm. So don't take my word for it, folks. Um, but it's a it's like a it's like a it's like a weird sea creature that's like five times the size of a killer whale because the drawing has it fighting them, and it has a long trunk. It looks like a giant whale with a long trunk, and uh, it's covered in white fur. So it's a really weird looking thing. So that's the only reason why I even mentioned it because it was like, what is this thing? Well, that, that, that's it. I mean, and and when. I think with the, with the with the general public, they can look at these things and not really understand the background and think, well, um, what does all of this mean? Um, but when you break it down, uh, a lot of these things are there's no magic monster in the world. What they are often are credible credible species, not hmm. the trunco, obviously, but with something like the orang pendek or you know something like the thylacine, the Tasmanian tiger. They're things that either have existed. Um, and become extinct, or things that are simply derivatives of, of known species. Not all of them. Some of them are, 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 are quite incredible. But you know, if you separate away the mystique from from some of these things, they're often really highly plausible, highly plausible creatures. Yeah. Well, the Tasmanian tiger is interesting because people bring it up all the time. It's it's sort of a weird cryptid. I I feel. Uh, let me see. Someone's saying they lost audio, but I don't know. Works for me. So if anyone, yep, okay, just you. All right. Um, yeah, the Tasmanian tiger is interesting because it's sort of an odd creature. Uh, I feel it, it, people in cryptozoology mention it all the time. It's I feel like it's the ugly duckling or the black sheep of the of the, of the crypto uh, menagerie because it's it's a normal animal sort of, but that is just kind of missing, and people want to find it. You know what I mean? Well, I, I, I think, well, I, I know there was a, a recent CFZ expedition organized by Rebecca Lang this year, and I think they're analyzing some scat samples of it. And I'm interested in it because um, I've never looked for it myself, but the thing that resonated, I would look for it. The thing that resonated with me about that was, I think it's the 1930s, you see the last one <laughs> in a cage in a zoo pacing around, um, and that was the last one that died out, and it died oh, out so, such a short amount of time. And it looks incredibly sad when you see it. It looks incredibly sad um, to me. And that was my perception of it. <coughs> you know, in that cage, and that was it. And it just just feels tragic. And we had hunted it out of existence. You know, yeah. people were being paid bounties to get its pelt. Oh God! That, was the story. that should be the ca- that should be the cautionary tale for for all these creatures we're talking about today. Absolutely. You got you got bonuses to shoot his pelt and it's no different now than somebody would get for shooting a Bigfoot. Jeez. They make a lot of money. And they know that. <coughs> and, and and so people people were shooting it out of existence. So for me, the reason um I would like that proved is that um I would love to see um I would love to see 
it's um, it, 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 um, it it's still been in existence. It's good for the I think it's good for the human spirit that we didn't we didn't hunt it out in a in a bloodthirsty manner. We just didn't wipe it all out, and that there are some still knocking around, either in Tasmania or in mainland Australia, or in Iran Jaya. Um, I think um, that there, there could I've heard eyewitness accounts in in all three uh, um, of, 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 of potential. Um, thylacines, Tasmanian tigers, mm. and it would be an int- a very interesting creature, uh, marsupial derivative, and with extremely, extremely large jaws. I mean, when you look at it, <laughs> you see it open its jaws, and wow! So I really hope it exists. It, it looks a, a very wonderful creature, and Australia obviously has a lot of unique animals yeah. um, that, that you can't find anywhere else. So I think for me, as I say, it's about the idea of <clears throat> just within, you know. In the 1930s, we we we'd wiped it out. So yeah. let's hope it's there. Let's hope it's there, and somebody finds. I'm surprised it. you haven't done an Australian trip yet, given the the language. Uh, you know, obviously the obvious same language and everything, and it seems a little more first world uh, place to explore. Yeah, it's, well, I've been to Australia. Um, I, oh, okay. I, I went to, I went to Australia um, when um, and uh, when we first got the. Orang Pendek hairs, and Hans Brunner was analysing those and said, you know, they were from an unknown species of primate. He was the guy who did the dingo baby case. Mm. But, but, and I met him and had a chat with him about that. And I looked very briefly in a place called Grampians for some evidence of their big cats. But it was a short, it was a short trip. Yeah, I'd like to go to Australia one day. I definitely would. It, I've got so much melting up. It's just a question yeah, yeah. of where I go, you know. I've got other projects in... So right now, as we speak, more projects potentially in America. I got something going on with um, a guy who I got friendly with because of this show, um, Mike Rideout over in Canada, oh, wow. um, who I know is listening. So, so, um, and um, I've got um, new projects in Southeast Asia in different parts of Southeast Asia, and I've got people researching those right now. So, it, it's it's what I fit in, and and that's why, Tim, it ends up becoming a gut thing almost as, as to where I go because I've only got a certain amount of money as well you know most of them I finance myself if I could do this full time you know I'd be all over the world you know I'd be like mm-hmm. that B-52 record roam around the world that's what I'd be doing there you <laughs> go yeah I'd be I'd be I'd be there I'd be I'd love to do it it's my passion but <clears throat> you know if I'm doing it in, in my spare time I've only got so much money to do it so you sort of think well what can you afford to do right you have to be very choosy then. Yeah, you have to be. It's what you can afford to do, and, and, you know, I'd like to do a couple of things this year if I could. So it's a question of of, of what I can afford to do and when I do it. So it's all about that. Okay. Um, uh, You know, the biggest biggest inhibitor to me is not lack of desire or not lack of creatures out there or not lack of finding evidence. It's lack of having the damn money to do it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been there, brother. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's the so, uh, that's the cross we bear in this uh, yeah, crazy field. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I've been very blessed that um, I have been able to to do so much over the years. Mm, absolutely, uh, dude. You're like I said at the beginning of the show. Your resume is incredible. Uh, just the places you've gone, the creatures you've looked for. Um, now we got a caller here on the line, and uh, we almost never get callers because I don't give out the number because I'm I'm selfish. I like to keep the guest to myself. <laughs> but but uh, but we'll bring him on here. Six oh one area code. You're on the air, my yes. friend. Uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, my name is Brian. I'm calling from Texarkana, Texas. So uh, no Adam awesome. knows me. Awesome. How's Adam, it going, Adam? Adam? Oh, there you go. Good, man. Good. 
Look, it is a supreme pleasure to to talk to Adam. I'm I'm glad to call in. And I do have a question because I don't think it was mentioned. Um, Okay. And I know uh, to hand over the science to Jeff Meldrum and all those, but how do the Harang Pandek feet cast print the whole thing compared to Dr. Jeff Meldrum's theory about the mid-tarsal break of uh, bipedal creatures? You know, is it plain enough to see something like that, that that you have on evidence? I think that's a really good question. I, I think, I think you know, when, when, if I come back to it, Brian, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, what I was saying earlier on in the show, with, I think it was to a guy called, who was calling himself Mr. P, is I can definitely see things gripping. I can see movement as it, as it walks about. I can see the fact that it's a forager. Um, I... I I'm not persuaded I can see enough evidence about the mid-tarsal break, but then that's what Jeff will do. So he will analyze the, analyze the prints and go through it all properly. Um, I can certainly see consistency of the prints. So I can see, for example, that the prints have a divergent toe on them. I, think I, I can see that they have a rounded heel um, uh, as opposed to the elongated heel of the orangutan, and they have these stubby toes. There are certain features that I can see not as an expert, which, that, which are consistent. And that, that, that is consistent with different prints, different times, different animals. Um, but the uh, complex anatomy, I would not, I would not um, feel comfortable venturing in on that right now. But I will encourage you by saying that we are seeing a lot of consistency in the prints. So there is certainly, in my opinion, from the same species. Uh, I think we need to learn more about, uh, about its um, about its movement and its motility, and he'll be able to do that rather than I. All right. Uh, Any other questions, Brian? Uh, well, no, that's pretty much it. Uh, I just, uh, like I said, it's a, it's a supreme pleasure to be able to talk to Adam, and uh, that's it. Great show. Awesome. Thanks for calling in, man. Punch right, him up on you, Facebook. Thank you, Brian. It's a really pleasure to speak to you. All righty. Thank you. There we go. Nice, Adam. You you bring the uh, you bring the callers out of the woodwork. Like I said, I almost I don't even give out the numbers. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Brian, yeah, for nice calling in. That oh, was yeah, pretty, nice that was pretty cool. Yeah, you got your first first live call here. <laughs> well, not the first one, but certainly uh, no, on, my, on this show. First one, me. quite some time. Yeah, first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've never I mean, in the five shows we've done, we've never done a live call, have we? Huh? No, no, no. <laughs> I didn't realize uh, Brian was so excited to talk to you. I didn't realize. You were such a diva. I didn't know it was so hard to get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm really hard to get hold of. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, man. I sit here sometimes in my ivory tower with my cold coins around me, and I wonder, I wonder whether I should speak to such mortals. But there you are, you it out of my shell. Oh, no, it's really man. nice of Brian to call in. I do appreciate him calling. That was a lovely question. Yeah, that was great. That was great. Um, Mongolian death worm. I mentioned it in the in the preview. People got all excited. Uh, no, you know what we've got to say now. What's that? You know what we've got to say because that was dastardly death worm. You've got to say it. Oh, the right? the dastardly Mongolian death worm. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. This is it, it, it's one of the more popular cryptids uh, just by the name, but it's really there's yeah, not yeah. much to it. Uh, I think we we talked about this long, long, long time ago when you were like first on the show because uh, you've you've been out there to look around. In that general facility, the vicinity. So I guess let, let, let's let's revisit the Mongolian death worm since it gets people so titillated. Hmm. Well, I've been I've been to Mongolia is a, a very large country. I've been to 
um, all across it. Uh, and in, in terms of cryptids, um, uh, sort of in the west around the Hov Dairy, you've got um, the Almas. But in the south, in the Gobi Ches Desert, roughly speaking towards China, you've got the death worm. So what, what's the death worm? Well, it's, it's not. Um, it's not. I almost wish it was because it would be quite amusing. But it's not the sort of Kevin Bacon tremors thing, you know. Mm, yeah. It's not the, you know, we, we, we fought it off. And um, uh, and we had a wonderful time, and we all lived happily ever after after the evil death went time to suck us. Um, <laughs> it's a real it's a real creature. Um, the science behind it is that <clears throat> the story behind it is that Roy Chapman Andrews in the 1920s, he's the guy who they say some of the Indiana Jones stories was based on actually a paleontologist. Oh wow! He was asked by the then president of Mongolia, so the president himself. Um, think about that, to investigate the stories behind the death worm um, because um, there, there, there were so many of this strange creature. Oh, weird. So it wasn't, it's not something that's just been fished out since the 1980s. Yeah. It's something that's gone back a long way before um, before anything. And there's, there was a, um, a Czech explorer who's passed away now, Ivan Makley, who had done some work, but nobody else really had. And, and it was, you know, it's very interesting when you speak to the eyewitnesses there, they talk about um, it having, um, <laughs> there's talk about it potentially spitting out some sort of venom, what could it be? Um, maybe some sort of reptile, a uh, very basic reptile. This is just a guess. Um, mm. I think a worm would probably shrivel in, 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 the, in, in the heat. It got up to 50 degrees from my recollection. It's a long time ago now, but it got up to 50 degrees from my recollection yeah. of, 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 of how hot it was at times. Um, there and, and it's often seen um, in, in the summer months, so it may well it may well um, not be active in winter. Uh, but, but yeah, again, I think that's another example. When people hear death worm, yeah, it sounds kind of kooky. Yeah, that that or yeah, that must be BS. You know, it can't right. be real. Uh, um, but when you actually say, well, actually, stories about it go back a long way. Even the president of Mongolia was interested enough to, to send people out who were credible to go and investigate it. Yeah. And when you think about it. What, it's not a, it's not something from tremors. It's a, probably a unique type of reptile. Then you think, well, people will go, ah, yeah. Um, so there's there, there's often um, a romance that's built around these these creatures. And while the romance can help to perpetuate the legend, it's almost <clears throat> it almost doesn't do it any good because um, what you what you're having there is, is something that um, is is. It's almost doing it damage because nobody credible wants to go and look for a death worm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they think, oh, that's a load of crap. I'm it's not going to go and look for a death worm and waste my time and money. But it's an amazing place, Mongolia. As I say, I've been to the to the Gobi and to the west, the the, the desert, and then the mountains. And uh, I really like it. And the people there are, are, are brilliant. It's a really good place. Um, I, you know, and if, and if people want to go, I would recommend it. And hmm. they'd have a fantastic time. Uh, uh, and and uh, you, what you get there, <clears throat> what, another thing you can get in Mongolia is a unique sense of, 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 of distance because it's one of the least populated countries in the world. So you can spend time um, on the plains where there really is nobody around and you know there's nobody around because you can look in any distance and not see any lights or fires or anything else so for miles and miles and miles. <clears throat> so oh you can see easily... 30 miles away from the nearest person, that's completely possible. 
um, and without that much effort, <laughs> you know, um, in Mongolia. It's a, it's a, it's a vast country, where, and the, the possibilities, certainly in the mountains, and when I was in it, where I, I did think, um, because a lot of the, a, a lot of the, the population centres, so the concentrated population centres, places like Ulaanbaatar, and then you've got very small towns normally, but the, even the nomads um, will only go to the pasture levels, um, even the high altitude pastures, even in summer, because when I was up there, I think in June, in the, in the mountains, you could even see pa- small patches of snow, even in June, you know, in the mountains, um, oh on the pasture area. So you've got vast mountain ranges, which people will not be in or will not go to, because they have no po- there's no point to them, go- to them going, because there's no purpose. Hmm. So <clears throat> the idea of, 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 of something existing or populations existing in these mountain ranges where people just have no desire or need to traverse um, is eminently plausible. And you saw that. <clears throat> you saw a specific example. Do you think people think, well, yeah, okay. Is this guy, does he really want to see cryptids all over the world? And what's he saying about these remote... Oh, yeah, 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 blah 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 <laughs> No, I, I am right. I am right. And I know I am right. Why do I know I am right? Because recently a large top-of-the-tree apex predator, which nobody thought was around, only appeared in local legends, was proved to exist by its DNA, by Brian Sykes, the new bear, yeah? Yes. The new bear in the Himalayas. Yes, yes, now, yes. I want to I wanna talk about this. Yeah, proved to exist. And where was the evidence for that bear before? It, the evidence for it primarily was in eyewitness accounts and local legends which spoke of potentially two or maybe three types of yeti-like creature. Or, and one of, them, one of them was a bear. One of them was a man-like yeti. So the story of the bear does not disprove the idea, as you saw in the media. Yeah. So this thing of, oh, the, the abominable snowman, the yeti, has been disproved. No, it hasn't. Do your homework. What it actually says is, what it actually is, is consistent with the local legends because they specifically separate out. And I've spoken to eyewitnesses about this in the Himalayas. They specifically separate out the bear and the man-like creature. And we have found the bear. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that bear, nobody's heard about, you know, 30,000, 40,000 years. It's knocking around in the Himalayas, yeah, in the remote mountain ranges when nobody goes. And I've seen the difference. I saw the difference when I was filming um, the Monster Quest Abominable Snowman episode. <clears throat> um, and, and I had a great time doing that. It was a two-parter with a friend of mine, Jerry McGilead. And we were filming that, and you saw the difference from... You could straight away, you could, you could feel and see the difference from where the edge of the villages were. You saw the farmland, and then you saw the ecosystem, for one for a better word, blossom once you got past the, the, the villages which were, uh, you know, well, once you got past the, the villages, once you got into the mountains, mm. you saw the ecosystem change and the environment change and the animals change and the diversity around there. It was like once you get past where people are, it's completely different. And there are vast ranges like that. So that, the bear, more of that needs to be made because that is hugely significant for, for, for cryptozoology. It is a massive discovery, and it has not really been, been given the credit that it, it does. And what it, its profound implications, and it's pro, the profound implications it has 
for the consistency of local legends. My heart leapt when I heard about the bear. I wasn't disappointed. I was vigorously encouraged. Well, you hit on all kinds of stuff in that, and I'm glad uh, I'm glad you brought it up because I think I might have missed it. But yeah, the, 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 I, I was in the same position, uh, but also grumpy because uh, I hate the way the media changed it up and acted like uh, like like this was a loss for cryptozoology when really yeah. it was a big win for uh, for, for the community because uh, the bear is supposed to be like a million years old or something, and no one would, there's no reason well, why it would be there. Well, thousand years old. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. It, 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 As I say, the, the leap I want to make is <clears throat> it's not just the fact that it exists, which is incredible, uh, this large creature. Because people are, you know, the, the thing, that, and then they're wrong, of course. People often say, well, there's nothing nothing large being discovered. You've talked about some insect in Kathmandu, you know. Yeah, yeah. So there's large creatures being discovered all the time. But this, a bear, yeah, um, which has unique features, which you won't go on about, but has unique features. Um is there? But the, again, as I say, and I can't say it enough. Look at the legends; they talk about the difference between the two. The, the, the ancient shamanic culture talks about, you know, the need for, you know, all the different creatures that are in the Himalayas, and it talks about that it lists every species, including these bears, and also talks about um, the wild man, yeah, the yeti, and 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 so. There is nothing revolutionary, if you look at the local legends in that, it is entirely consistent. They reinforce it. The existence of the bear reinforces it. You know, and <clears throat> there are, the idea that, that um, hominid-type creatures um, existing, uh, uh, again, in remote places, is entirely evolutionary plausible. Hmm. I go back to my point that I made to you earlier. It is consistent with our knowledge of evolution. It is consistent with our knowledge of different types of human existing at the same time as us. People often think, you know, <clears throat> you know, it goes back to, to, to classroom books that, oh, people, our modern people, our, our modern society, we're really the only, only people, apart from those Neanderthals who are a bit thick, you know. Yeah. That's just so arrogant, you know. It's so wrong on so many levels. Uh, and, and it's almost like a pop culture thing. And in that instance, the media have perpetuated it with, oh, it's bad news for the Yeti. No, it's good news for the Yeti. It's good news. Do your homework. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Listen to Adam, folks. But but my problem, my question, my issue, my concern here is Mm -hmm. the – we talked about the need for the DNA to open the door for conservation and research. Um, And I know it's very, very, very early in the whole process, but has Mm -hmm. the DNA findings that showed that this is a unique bear – led to any sort of um, effort to investigate further? Not to the best of my knowledge yet. And I think, as I say, I think you're right. It's it's early days. Hmm. But there there is every good reason why a crew shouldn't go out there and look for it now. Every good reason. I hope it happens. Yeah, yeah, it needs to be done. That's that's my... Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's every good reason. I mean, and, 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 you know, from my own experience, when people think about the Himalayas, just as a layman's point... What you're not doing is traipsing for days and days on, up on top of, of high mountain ranges because any animal won't stay there for, for, for any length of time. What it may do is traverse those hmm. in order to get to, to valleys. What you'd be looking for, what you'd be doing is looking in, 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 um, in valleys, in pockets of isolated areas, um, 
And, you know, you'd be looking at an elevation of around 10,000 feet or, or slightly lower as for something that could subsist, you know? And I found Bear Scat, um, <clears throat> together with a friend of mine, Mick Paul, when we were out there, um, at about at about eight or 9,000 feet when we were there and it was fresh. So um, those are the sort of places I'd look for it. Yeah. yeah. Now, aside from producing scat of your own, if you were in the Himalayas and you saw this, this uh let's call it the yeti bear for lack of a better term would you even know that you were seeing this unique uh you know cryptid bear or would you just be like again or would you just produce your own scat and be like oh it's a bear well it's difficult to say really because we don't know really what it looks like Mm. we've only got impressions yeah you'd have to get again you'd have to get um you'd have to get more dna wouldn't you I, i i don't know um I mean, you could you could go off what the physical descriptions are, and say well it's going to be quite large, um, and you'd go off what the cross references are from known species and the photographs of known species, yeah. and say well it doesn't look like those, but it, ultimately, on a physical description alone, you'd be guessing. You'd be guessing if you came across it. Right, you'd right. Have to, you'd, you'd have to get some sort of sample. But again, that 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 is where a concentrated conservation project would come in, you know, um, rather than than um, somebody just wandering around and we're, we're looking for it. You'd have to do a, a, a proper project and get the backing to do that. And I, I hope that happens. It would be amazing. Amazing. And it's great news for cryptozoology. The most important news I know right now. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Again, I was disappointed with the uh, with the media. and uh, but, but I guess to stick to the, what I was kind of saying there, too, it's that's that's... That, that the yeti bear again, for lack of a better term, that that presents the challenge in a way too with that creature because it is, it's not so unique that it, that maybe it, it wouldn't uh, draw attention, I guess you could say, from passerby. Do you know what I mean? Where they'd be like, oh, that's a really big bear. They wouldn't realize. Oh wait, no, that's like an out of place bear that is super yeah, rare. And I think I think a lot of the local population um, in the remoter areas, the sort of people who are hunters, would 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 maybe possibly be able to differentiate it. But that's speculation on my part. I've never investigated it, but I would. I would, because it's amazing. <laughs> mm. Yeah, be interesting. Uh, interesting sort of uh, interesting sort of conundrum. I agree with you, though, about the whole thing with the media and the and the DNA announcement and, and all that. And I, and I think it was a good thing that they cleared up all that, uh, the Zena thing, because at least now we don't have to really spend any more time talking about it and kind of remove it from the annals of cryptozoology lore. Well, there's still, I think there's still some... Um, speculation as to what um, Zana's ancestry might be, whether it's um, whether it's it, it, it's the alleged slave in inverted commas or or, or a mig- earlier migration of people, because as I understand it, there's some unique features on the skull which which could indicate that. So I think there's still further research to be done on that. Um, <clears throat> uh, but but um, again, you know, it, it, I think. I think um, that, that there are, with the good news, I think, for cryptozoology generally, is not just, we are finding, we have just found, um, through um, an emphasis on cryptozoology, a completely new and exciting species. We are working now ever more so in my many years of field experience with credible scientists who will analyze and give time and are prepared to stick their necks out over over um, testing mm. of cryptozoological samples. And, you know, it's a good time to be a cryptozoologist. There are people who are prepared to do the field research. There are people who are prepared 
to um, analyze the samples. It's a good time to be a cryptozoologist. Things are happening. Things are moving positively, in my opinion. Right. If you live out in the southwest, you can go to a local shopping center and check out the dead Bigfoot. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's great. All the way around. We're doing... <laughs> yeah. What do you think? What... That, is, that is not what I'm saying. I know, I know. I'm just, that's me being, that's the, that's the Bostonian in me. That's the cynical uh, perspective. Uh, now, what do you, what do you attribute this, this sea change in attitude to, uh, as far as, you know, more credible people willing to, as you say, stick their neck out and, and, and go after this, this mystery? What, why why do you think there's been that change in attitude from uh academia and, and science i i i think i think a couple of things i mean you know when when um when i first spoke to hans brunner about it i mean he was saying well you know people questioned why he ever did hair analysis because there were people they were worried about the reputation but i, I think that there's a, i think that those people who are prepared to test it are testing it out of intellectual curiosity I think, uh, which is, and, and so, I think the they've become bolder because uh, this is speculation. But the, the the mass, the fact that there's um, mass media communication these days means that you can have a pretty pretty quick exchange of ideas. You don't have to write long, complicated letters that take many weeks to arrive. So you can have that rapid interchange. Yeah. And um, the fact that um, world travel and, and things like that have opened up, and 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 there are societies open that were previously closed uh, and, and i think that these people <clears throat> they often realize that you know great discoveries are often made in in spite of um accepted academic opinion not because of it yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you want to if you want to break the mold if you want to do something really incredible if you want your i'm not saying that all of them are motivated like this but if you want to do something that's really unique hmm. then you have to you have to test the boundaries and that can be testing the boundaries, not just in terms of um, your own personal sense, but in terms of the scientific methodology that you develop. So I would hope that it's intellectual curiosity brought, brought on by um, the fact that people are doing field research and they think, well, you know, I think that most of them would approach it. Well, I'm not really sure that anything exists, but what have I got to lose? I'll give it a go and see what happens. You know, I'll test this stuff. And if I find something, I'll say, I'll say I find it. Yeah. If I don't find it, then I'll say so. I don't think that the people who do end up sticking their necks out will will say, well, you know, will, will, would then try and erroneously cover it up. I think that they would um, they would do something or say something because uh, because they 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 really believe in it. And, and you know, that's great. That's great. I, I, there's always been some scientists over the years who I should add who have, who, have, who have looked into it. So I don't want to say that scientists have never looked into it, right? Because right. there's been a number over the years, and I think that's an important point to make because otherwise it negates all the hard research that they've done. But right now there seems to be, certainly in my experience, more than there have been before. Hmm. Well, it's good. It's a good. Uh, it's a good time. You're right. You're absolutely right. It is a good time to be a cryptozoologist. I was, are, I was just joking with you, but. That, the yeah, fact that, that you know, a rising tide lifts all ships, and that's the that's why we see some of the uh, kookier and lamer crap uh, in the in the media too, because because just Bigfoot in general is big right now, or cryptozoology is big. So obviously, you know, the freaks are also going to get some attention. Yeah, you're always going to get you're always going to get that in any of these things. But then, um, a lot of the a lot of the I mean, the the, the credible scientists won't won't work with the freaks. <laughs> hmm, exactly. If, if, if you've got if you've got somebody who is 
good at good at what they're doing. They're not going to waste their time with 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 people like that. They're only going to test and analyze samples mm. that they think might have some degree of plausibility of success. Yeah. Right. So you know, I, if I'm if I'm at the top of my game in in science and I'm you know I'm there, I might I might be doing this in my spare time. I might be doing this because I'm interested. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna test. If I don't, if I think the origin is going to be rubbish from a starting point, it's just not worth it. So they'll apply rationality to it, like anything else, and they'll say, well, you know, what's the origin of the sample? Before I even start, what's the origin of the sample? Who's it from? What's the origin of it? Is, it, is, is there a possibility it could be workable? And on that basis, they'll they'll form an opinion as to whether they think it's a good idea to test. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Wings Away has a question, and he actually remind or he he or she reminds me of uh, of a question that I had kind of been rolling around in my head, but I didn't want to ask because I felt like a, I could only do it in a comical fashion. But uh, he he wants to know, and then I'll do I'll, so I'll so I'll hit you with both as we get near the end. Uh, he, <laughs> I knew you were going to do it. That's why I said, "Here we go." Yeah, I was waiting for it. Oh yeah. He he wants to know if camera traps have been deployed at the edge of the farmer's crops where the orang pendek is seen foraging, and 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 as I said, that reminded me of sort of of my question, where it would be like, can you just buy like a little, can you just buy like a little patch of land down there and put some fruit out every night and and just wait, and eventually it should come come about, or is it really, uh, you know, is that just kind of my again, it was comical in a sense, is, am I, am I, or am I an idiot? Am I going to spend the next fifteen no, years in Sumatra? <laughs> Waiting. Well, if you want to go, you, I, I would advise you. Great people, lovely country. I'm not <laughs> so sure about the food myself, Tim, but but, but <laughs> there you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yes, they have been. There have been a number of camera trap initiatives, but nothing's come off it yet. Um, uh, but again, it comes down to money. So, in answer to your question, if I could, if I could um, organise um, those initiatives, I would do if I had the money to. But I don't. <laughs> so right. It's all about, right. It's yeah, all about what you can afford. It's all about what you can. So, so they're, they're they're very good points, you know, um, and that's that's why you need um, conservation projects so that they can do exactly the same thing as as Wings Away has um, rightly suggested. Mm. Yeah, um, because yeah, that would it, if I had the cash and I, I had an initiative with the Sumatran government, then um, that is what I would hope to do right now um, because I think it would be it would be good, and then in terms of um, sitting there looking for them, then yeah, absolutely. Because you could, you could, you know, if you could employ guides full time to go out there uh, and do that, then you know, you may well stand a good chance of success. Uh, but but it's still a very rare creature, and it's still very very hard. So uh, that's where it comes in because it, it might take a very long time. It, I don't think it would happen overnight, and it's sporadic. So I've been there before when there's been an eyewitness accounts. Of 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 of, uh, it, of a, an orang pendek eating fruit on the edge of a farm or a farmland. Of course, you go there, and <laughs> yeah. you know it's two days later, and the fruit's gone or rotted or it's moved on. Because mm. I think they roam large distances. As I mentioned to you, that I think they're probably solitary. I think they roam large distances. Yeah, yeah. And and you know they're they're pretty rare. So it may be it may be in a village. I mean, even with the locals, it's still quite unusual to see one. I remember when Sahar saw one. And, um, and one of my guides, and, and, and um, it was, you know, it was celebrated in his village. He's passed away now. It was celebrated mm. in his village, um, the, 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 the fact that he'd, he'd seen one, because it was still unusual. And that's people who live in the area um, and, and, and work in it. And so it's, it, it's still pretty rare, but it, it's still pretty unusual 
by the same token, to see a tiger. <laughs> and, it, and it's got, you know, per yeah. head, one of the greatest concentrations of tigers, I think, anywhere. Um, so you have to put it in those contexts. You'd have to be patient, but that requires cash. <clears throat> and that's where um, moving the world of, of, of cryptozoology forward, um, that's where things like DNA evidence are hugely important. That's where it, that, those are the sort of things you want. You want investment. Um, I know in the past there's been <clears throat> rich investors. I mean, I think Lawrence talked quite a bit about um, Tom Slick in the past. Mm. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. That'd yeah, be great um, if we had someone like that. Yeah, yeah we need a, we'd need someone like a Tom Slick <laughs> to, to do that. And if you had a modern-day Tom Slick with the technology we have now, as opposed to when um, he was investing in it, then, uh, you know, I think possibly great things could happen. Hmm. But it would still require a lot of patience. You know, some of these things can happen overnight, but some of them can take a, a long time. And uh, the problem with business <clears throat> is that business um, can, can um, want a return on investment very quickly, and finances work like that. Yeah. Um, but, but with this, it would have to be a passion. Um, you'd have to think, well, I'm not going to get my money back off this. <laughs> yeah. Um, we got to put you in touch with like Richard Branson or something. Maybe uh, fine. we got to get our own Tom Slick. He'd have to be into it. I mean, he'd have yeah. to be into it because if he if he was I mean if he was looking at it as business. I mean, from my previous experience in in business, you have projects. You, you know, if you're having a project that may last longer than a couple of years, you're looking for your return on your investment, and it has to be far greater, obviously, than the money yeah. you put in. So the return on investment <clears throat> could well be nothing. Um, and um, and it could and it's for um, a, an indefinite period of time, <clears throat> as opposed to a finite period of time, which is all business projects have to run on. Mm. Uh, and you never see things hardly ever run longer than five years. Um, so <clears throat> it would have to be somebody who's just really into the subject. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 and 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 is loaded. <laughs> <laughs> Where are these people? Like Jesus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Contact me or Adam. Oh well, the other thing, the other thing is that you know some of the if you got um, a good documentary series where they were prepared, prepared to invest some time and money in these things um, because they were fascinating and the return on investment was audience numbers, then you would get that. I don't want to make it too commercial, hmm. but but but, the, but I've never done anything for money. I should uh, I should emphasize that just in case people think I, I have. You know that, but I yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for new for new listeners, I'm not interested in or motivated by money in any way. But if you're talking about the practical application in order to preserve the, the, the creature, then it would come down to, to investment, I'm afraid. Hmm. Um, as, much as, I'd, 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 uh, as much as I've um, <clears throat> never had a business interest in it, um, I'm realistic enough to know that um, you know, somebody's got to spend some money somewhere. Otherwise, you know, in the same way that you're preserving gorillas in, in Rwanda, you have to have a conservation project. Um, that needs finance. That needs backers. And it also needs local people and education and all of that. You know, it's it's a complex thing. It's it's um, and it, and it takes some time. It takes some patience. Um, and that's where we are. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like every time I talk to you, though, I feel like we're getting closer and closer. And uh, you know, well, what's the what's the? Uh, I may keep you a little bit past the live show here. Cause I got a couple more questions if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. uh, Maybe like five ten minutes. Um, yeah, yeah. But. Uh, well, since we're kind of closing out on the live part, what's what do you have in store? We got about five minutes. What do you have in store, you know, for 2014 going forward? And I guess I want to wrap that in with a question. Just 
Just you know, I think you've I think you've been to Sumatra seven times now. Any any plans? Eight actually. I'm eight. not sure. I'd have to tell you that. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we'll have to we'll have to sit down and figure that out. But yeah. <laughs> but so so what's going on in 2014 for you? And where you know, well, I know you're going to be back in Sumatra at some point. So the question of if you're going back at some point is 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 moot. So when when in the horizon do you see yourself <laughs> back? And, I'm not going back this year. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I've no plans to go back this year. Let me tell you that. Okay, so maybe 2015, uh, maybe 2015. I don't know. I don't know, and I'm not going to be pinned down to you because cause you, you, you egged me on to go there, man. And, <laughs> I, I, and I know what you're doing. I know you're doing it right now. I, I know the next time you do it is that, that, that it's going to happen this time. I'm telling you. <laughs> just, just like Do it. I'm not going to let you pin me down. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone. I don't want to eat fish heads ever again, Tim. No. <laughs> When you come to Boston, I'm going to surprise you with fish heads yeah. too. Yeah, I'm going to have a plate of fish heads. Oh, <laughs> so what? So so all right. So what? What else though for for uh, yeah, any no, any I'll expeditions planned? Or are you just sort of uh, yeah, still I mean, thinking? I'll, I'll probably do. I'll, I'll, I'll probably do stuff in the states and the Canada Canada as well. I'm looking at, at those. Um, as I say, there's a couple of projects in Southeast Asia. Um, so the, the, there's a couple of things that that, that that I'm looking at. I haven't haven't yet firmed them up, but I will do fairly soon. Um, and, and we'll see how they go. So um, I'm at the stage um, now where uh, where it, I, I, can, I can sort of plan them. I think I needed <clears throat> I needed a bit of time over over Christmas and that to sort myself out. But um, I'm in a situation now, hopefully in the next month or so, where I can start planning what I'm going to do. Um, and I haven't been in that position for a while, but fingers crossed I should be in that position. It's all about money, money, mm. Tim, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's kind of what I can afford to do, and I guess I'll know what I can afford to do in about a month or so, hopefully, and then I can take it from there. So um, I could answer your question probably in about four or five weeks, but right now I, I don't know yet. That's just fun. about the past. Just, That's... just, just see where I am. Now, what about uh, what about another book? Because uh, we, like I said, we had you on way back in two thousand and eight, I think. Let me yeah, see here. Yeah, two thousand. It takes me a while to write them. Well, I write them all about my experiences and right, about right. my adventures. But yeah, I'm doing that at the moment. So um, the, the, I would hope that that would be out. I'm taking a long weekend off actually, so I'll write some this weekend, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I do it when I've got the time because obviously I work full time. Yeah. Um, so and uh, so I'll, I'll pursue that too. So both projects will be underway. I mean, there will be um, I would hope significant stuff um, for me this year. I would hope so. I presume so. I presume so. You don't rest very long, so. No, I don't rest for very long. No, yeah. low boredom threshold. I was gonna say, like, do you ever go to any like new place? But then I remember that you've the the, the whole America experience. So I'm always you know, clearly you do go place. to yeah, yeah. So, you know. So the, and 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 of the of the four projects in the air that I've got right now, three of them are new places. So Good. there's always potential for new places. Um, as you know, I don't like to to go to the same place time after time. Um, Apart from Sumatra, because I, I worry about getting hung up on it. It was when I met Adrian Shine at Loch Ness, and I had no disrespect to him, but I just thought, well, I don't want to be like 20 years, 25 years in, in the same place, you know. Um, it's, I, I don't think that's healthy. I want to move on to other places. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've covered tons of stuff, man. Uh, I, I'm really, as I said, I'm, I'm, 
I'm envious, but as we've discussed many, many, many times in the past, I am in no shape to go on any of these expeditions. So, someday in the future, if I can ever get my act together, uh, you and I will traipse through the Mongolian desert. Well, you're in fun. shape. You're in shape for the Boston pub crawl, and that would be the perfect thing. For us. I can guarantee you, I'm in shape for that, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note. Uh, we got about a minute left here. I'm just going to keep you for 5 or 10 afterwards because I had a couple sure. questions, and one of the uh, chat folks had a question as well. I want to thank all the folks who tuned in here today uh, in the afternoon. Strange hour, but uh, I think it was great. I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Every time I do one of these afternoon shows, I say I want to do more, so hopefully we'll do more afternoon shows. And obviously, big thanks to Adam here for coming at us all the way from the U.K., I know it's the nighttime there, so uh, thanks for taking some time out of your night to join uh, all the folks listening live, Adam. It's my pleasure. I love doing the show. It was great fun. Always, always enjoy it, Tim. You know that. Awesome, awesome. And, uh, you know, you'll be back sooner than later, I'm sure, and definitely enjoy our annual conversation. And on that note, uh, the, the, you can't hear it, folks, but I can. The British ladies count me down, so have a good night, and uh, tune in next time. All right, there we go. Now, we've lost the live listeners, unfortunately, but uh, okay. they do say it was fascinating, and we are still recording, so... Keep, okay. keep all of your private, secret uh, revelations to yourself. <laughs> uh, the 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 uh, the only the, the only question I had that that uh, came up right as we were kind of closing out the live show, and I didn't want to start on it uh, and run out of time, was where does the Orang Pendek get its name from, and uh, and and when it is proven to exist or discovered, will it keep that name or will they give it a different name? Um, I think. Well, the, the orang um, is it, it, the orang means man, yeah. So orang, mm. orangutan, um, orang pandek means a short man of the jungle. So that's what it means. Um, will it will it um, get a new name? Well, it would get a scientific name. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and, and, and that would be part of it. And it may well get a name that's derived from from uh, from the species as well. So sometimes things can be called after um, an individual as well. Um, it's not the individual's choice, but but that, that's it. So yeah, it would probably get something, um, but it would. I guess it depends on 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 what happens and what the the the, the body the body that publishes it um, decides. Yeah, uh, but it'll get something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, that was the only. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I confused myself here. Uh, yeah, that was the only real question I had. So I guess I could have squeezed it in on the left. <laughs> Yeah, you could have done, but yeah. then, it, then you know you didn't know, did you? And then we were on the countdown to the clock. Right, exactly. Well, like I said, here, they, but they, it's going, it's going sixty seconds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? As I said, they, they people can't hear it, but there's this British no, lady no, that comes no, on. No, no. Um, yeah, well, I, I guess the the reason that crossed my mind like the other day was just because uh, part of me is like, oh, if they ever capture the Bigfoot or prove it exists, it'd be so weird uh, that like, what will they call? Will will it stay called the Bigfoot? Will will they try and make it well, Sasquatch? Well, you know. I have to say, if they prove the Bigfoot exists, worrying about its name will be the, will be the <laughs> on the list. You know, there'll be, there'll be, it will be a fundamental change in the consciousness of America. Um, proving the Bigfoot exists, it would be enormous, and you would see a lot, a tidal wave of, of, of change there. It wouldn't be a small thing. Um, I know you don't think that, but it would. It would well, what do you? Uh, well, now you've intrigued me here. What do you mean? Uh, law. Uh, we, we talked about laws and stuff like that, but what other 
what other what other changes do you think would well, happen? Just I think you know when I when I speak to eyewitnesses about about the fact that they've seen a creature, yeah, so seen a bigfoot, seen a a um, an orang pendek, they it, for most of them it's a profoundly moving experience, and 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 it and, and you know they talk about things like such as cognitive dissonance, dissonance. and basically what it does is it challenges. It can challenge your core beliefs and your understanding of the world and the way the world is shaped. So if you see something that you think, well, shit, that should not exist, Mm. then that's shocking. It's shocking to your core. And the idea that um, Bigfoots exist will be profoundly shocking to a number of people. At first, it it will cause a ripple and maybe some news items, but then... Um, there would be all sorts of societal, societal and philosophical points, and maybe even theological ones mm. about 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 um, what that means um, and how that places our understanding of humanity in the world. It will be um, an incredibly, incredibly significant discovery. It won't just be. Um, you know, and I don't mean the thing. You know, the bear's great, but it, the bear doesn't change your understanding of nature, yeah. your understanding of reality, your understanding of your place in society. But say you find something that that is extremely intelligent and is, um, you know, very close to um, what you are, but ne- yet not you. Yeah. Uh, then you st- you're bound to stand back and think, oh shit. What does this mean? You know? Right, right. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my beliefs? What does this mean for my understanding of society? What does this mean for humanity? How do I fit in? That's what it's going to mean. Now you got me excited again about... <laughs> Be excited, Tim. Be about excited. getting Bigfoot, yeah. 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 Be excited about Bigfoot. Yeah, it's not some... It's not some like bland thing, or maybe you know. No, no, no. Believe me, I'm I'm obsessed yeah. with Bigfoot. I... Yeah. <laughs> Listen, yeah. I, I'm the one who I'm the one who's wandering around in the middle of the day, wondering what they're going to call it after they capture it. So yeah, absolutely, <laughs> clearly. Absolutely. But a lot of people will say, a lot of people, oh, you know, you know, we've heard about this for for many years. No, 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 no. Usually yeah. significant. Yeah. Say, for example, you know, some of the some of the other um, some of the other stuff that might be more esoteric. It, it, it would be fascinating to read about and learn, but this would be hugely significant. It's the same sort of thing as if the government would come out and say, well, okay, aliens exist. It changes your understanding of human nature. Mm. And people are comfortable with the idea of saying that about aliens, whether they believe in their existence or not, and I'm not going to go down that path because I don't know anything about it. Yeah, um, but um, but um, it would be on that profound theological, spiritual, and evolutionary level of understanding it's it's massively significant wow well i can already see the people that would think that it was some kind of nephilim or or a lost giant from the bible or something like that so it could well be it, i mean some people have those views mm. i mean it's not something i i i i describe to myself I mean, right i think right. that i think you know you would have in any specter of 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 of, of um of of something that's intelligent, I think you probably have good and bad, just like you have with people, just like you have with with with, with chimps. So you have ones that are good and ones that are not so good. Um, I don't think anything would be all benign. I think that there'd, there'd be different ones, different, yeah. on different personalities, uh, and that's what you find. Okay. 
Uh, and the uh, the only other thing here was in the chat, Red Sun Superman said, uh, when I run out of serious questions, which uh, I have now because we're at the end of the show, he wants to know if you were a fan of Man U or Man City based on where you live. <laughs> I, I'm not a big soccer fan. That, the, the answer to the question, I'm not dodging it. It's just not my thing. I don't. I, my grandfather was an international soccer player for Wales. Oh, wow. Not for England. For Wales, my, 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 my name, Davis, was Welsh derivative, even though I'm mostly English. And I do watch the international matches. And I have, in Manchester, I have um, friends who are, who are Man U and Man City. And they kind of, uh, and they'll talk about soccer and I'll sort of part listen. I don't know enough about it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, not my, it's not my sport, you know. Um, and, and, but it is useful knowing a bit about it, because even if I've been in some village in the middle of nowhere people talk to me about united or city or liverpool or whatever else so it's useful knowing something about it but um i don't the, the answer to the question is and don't really have a soccer team but i love international matches i will watch those so when the world cup comes on i'll be watching it as soon as england are out i'll lose interest but before then i before then i'd see i'd watch them play any 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 team i'll watch any team you know like yeah. um uh, and, and 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 be very interested but once they go out, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let me uh, throw the plugs in here, and, and uh, we'll we'll wrap it up. People should check out AdamDaviesExplorer.com. I just said that phonetically. I know that his name, folks, is pronounced Adam Davis, but you want to punch it in, Adam, D-A-V-I-E-S, Explorer.com, or punch in Adam Davies, D-A-V-I-E-S, on Facebook. That'll bring up his page. Uh, let me just throw my plugs in, Adam. Don't hang up just yet because I want to talk to you after the show, but I want to let folks know more about the show here. So if you're just listening to us on Blog Talk Radio and you have no idea how you found us or where we come from, you want to go to banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com. That's where you'll find our massive archive of interviews, including, I believe, five now with Adam previously on the show, dating all the way back to 2008. Uh, also, we're on Facebook. Punch in Banal of America. That'll bring up the page. That's where you can find out more about the show, who's coming up next, and all that good stuff. What you just listened to was a two-hour-plus conversation with Adam Davies live all the way from the United Kingdom. That is all paid for by me, my friends. This show is free. You're listening to it for free. You can listen to all 200-plus episodes at Banal of America for free. How do we do that? That's via donations through PayPal and our P.O. box from thankful listeners who help us out. And uh, as I said, just go to Banal of America, hit the PayPal button. They'll walk you through the process. If you don't trust the Internet and all this uh, cyber economy, you can just mail us a donation to the P.O. box, and you can find the address for that at Banal of America as well. On the next edition of the program, Aaron Gullius. He's the author of the new book, The Chaos Conundrum. He wrote a fantastic book also on the contactee era. It's a taped program. I taped it a while back. It's going to come at you on Friday, March 7th. And it's a really fantastic interview. I enjoyed it quite a bit when I was editing it. We get into some deep issues surrounding UFOs, ufology, what it all means, how to tackle this bizarre subject, how to really get to the bottom of it, and uh, what the people who are trying to get to the bottom of it now need to change in order to really uh, 
get a read on this situation. So that's Aaron Gullius on the next edition of BOA Audio that's coming at you next Friday. And with all that said, thank you very much, folks, for listening. Big thanks once again to Adam Davies for coming on the show. Adam Davis. There you go. (laughs) Thank you, buddy. And everyone out there, I'll talk to you next time.